Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are so excited to have in the studio Dr. Megan uh, Ebor, um, who is, wow, she's more than just a doctor um, of... Uh, <laughs> who graduated from UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs in the Department of Social Welfare. Uh, she's also um, a researcher for the Center for Culture, Trauma, and Mental Health Disparities at the Simo Institute for yeah. Neuroscience and Human Behavior. Her research is guided by her interest in ways to improve the sexual health outcomes for African-American women and older adults. Specifically, she develops behavioral health interventions, and is particularly interested in harnessing multimedia platforms for health promotion and disease prevention. By merging science and the arts, Dr. Ibor aims to make research translation translational to under-resourced communities. And her debut film, Even Me, I, I saw that you um, were part of the uh, Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles, yes, um, I don't know, 2013 maybe? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we missed it. We need to have a debut in Northern California because that film is yeah. still relevant. <laughs> it, yeah. It certainly is. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it is it is really wonderful, um, you know, that you are working, you know, doing work that highlights, you know, sort of hidden populations um, because people don't think about HIV infection for people over mm-hmm. 50, like, say for sex, for people that are over 50, like, are they still having sex? Like, what? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, and that's often yeah. the reactions that we get, Wanda, it's like, really? And, and and most people aren't aware that, I mean, older people are having sex well into their 70s and 80s, and, and people, you know, because of the stigma and ageism, they're like, oh, really? So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right, yeah. And you're probably familiar with the uh, uh, the Black Coalition on AIDS in San Francisco and Rafiki uh, Wellness. Yes. we Actually, we did a screening there uh, some years back oh. of, of the film. Yes. Oh, so, I totally um, missed it. We, okay. You totally did. We'll have to come back again. 
saying, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. put it in another venue, um, you know, to capture an audience that maybe is not as in tune as Rafiki Wellness and Black Coalition on AIDS because that's what they do. So, of course, yeah. folks that are, you know, affiliated, they do that too. They're like, okay, you know. But right. other people right. that are, you know, having unprotected sex and are over 50 and thinking everything is cool because they can't have babies anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I was just looking at a trailer, I was like, um, or no, I was reading about it. One person um, he was saying how when he was diagnosed, he just didn't mm-hmm. know what to do, so he kept on having unprotected sex um, Yeah, because he was yeah. afraid. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Wow. You know, it's very yeah. interesting. And, I, you know, I so appreciated that one gentleman who took part in the film to just speak mm-hmm. candidly and honestly about his process and, you know, from diagnoses, to, you know, you go through the stages of grief where you just really don't know what to do at that point. And, you know, research has shown that it typically takes the average person two years to get into care mm-hmm. after diagnosis. So just imagine mm-hmm. what can happen in that span of two years when you're out just roaming and aimlessly roaming, and he chose to have unprotected sex within that two-year time frame. Um, before mm-hmm. he sought out treatment and care. So just think about the risk that his partners uh, were susceptible to just by him not knowing what to do and where to go and how to seek help during that time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and then you had people like um, Carrie uh, Broaddus who thought yeah. she was HIV positive, but she wasn't. And I'm like, yeah. wow, was she taking all those medicines too? Like, No, well, you know, um, Carrie oh. is, yeah, well, Carrie Broaddus is one of the um, advocates for HIV, and she's been in the fight since the beginning, um, mm. you know, of the epidemic. But she, her personal story was she thought that she had it, and she went in for the test and, uh, you know, just explaining the process of what she was feeling internally uh, mm-hmm. you know, was really, uh, it, it was a powerful story for her to share with the emotions that she went through. And, and you know, thankfully she, she, the test came up negative for her, but from mm-hmm. that, that point forward, she can move uh, forward making choices that would serve her well in her, in her life's journey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember Black Coalition on AIDS, they had an initiative where they were looking at, um, the large number of black women who were becoming infected because they um, they were over 50 and mm-hmm. uh, they were having relations with men who were returning to the community from incarceration and yeah. um, and didn't know that they were infected and yeah. were spreading it to this this population and so there was like a support group set up for the women um, right. who you know once again like what. Yeah, you know, I'm having, yeah. you know, I have yeah. monogamous relationship and I'm infected. Like, oh. yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and you know, Wanda, what I find is, you know, most women who are in monogamous relationships, it's it's just that you're in a monogamous relationship, but we can never be 100% certain how our partner perceives the relationship and whether they're in a monogamous relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important for women and and to be empowered and to take control of their sexual health. And that's in part why we developed this toolkit, the, the mm-hmm. Royal Tea, um, yeah. because this impacts black women of all ages. And we wanted to develop a tool that would empower black women. It was developed by black men, women uh, for black women. And it's culturally mm-hmm. relevant and it's multi-generational. So it covers um, women from ages uh, or mid to mid twenty fives and and up, you know. So and it's nothing like you've ever seen before. And it was it's such a necessity in our communities that we have resources and tools for Black women because we're often overlooked in these areas. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's on a website called Upspoken. <laughs> Upspoken yeah. women. Yes. Upspoken yeah, upspoken. Women. Yeah, talk about upspoken and royalty. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you gave you give us some statistics, and I'll let you give us these statistics about, you know, sort of, uh, you know, black women, you know, are, are just a certain part of uh, the overall female population. Yet, um, mm-hmm. the largest portion of those infected by new HIV infection. You're thinking like people are still being infected like today? Like how is that? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well you know when you when you look at it, Wanda, a large part of the um in when the epidemic began in in the eighties it was really focused on gay men, gay white men. And mm-hmm. It really a lot of the attention and a lot of the resources were allocated to that population. So over time, as um, you know, advances in medications and things like that um, came to the forefront, there was a certain segment of the population that were kind of left out of the discourse because initially it began as a gay white disease, so to speak. You know, so then it kind of gave this maybe false sense of security to, well, oh, well, that happens to that group over there. That doesn't happen to us. And then um, here we are decades later where it's now impacting black women and and it's impacting us at a disproportionate rate. Um, of new cases of HIV, um, I believe we're 16 times more likely to be infected than um, our white counterparts. So, wow, that's, that's huge, 16 times, my goodness. 16 times, yes. So, you know, I was, you know, fortunate to, to, ask, to be asked to be a part of the Upspoken Women campaign, which is funded by the California Wellness uh, mm-hmm. Foundation, and they wanted to do work uh, to kind of bring education and awareness around this topic, but they wanted to do so in a culturally relevant and empowering way, and that's how uh, they came to developing Royal Tea is what they they landed <laughs> on calling it. And I love the name because when you think of Royal Tea, it's royal mm-hmm. because we're queens. Um, mm-hmm. As black women, we sit on a throne, honey. <laughs> and, then, and then as tea, it's the classified information that 
maybe we didn't get as uh, youngsters coming up. You know, maybe this isn't the information that our, our mothers shared with us, you know, for various reasons. Um, but this is information that is needed in our, within our communities. And I think as black women, we need a space and a platform to be able mm-hmm. to discuss topics that have been historically taboo um, and, and because we're being, for lack of information, we're being decimated by HIV and, and sexually transmitted infections. And I'm just really, really excited that royalty is now going to be available because not, there's nothing else like it that really takes the science and the research and makes the information, you know, relatable for our community. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's really picking up a manuscript in a, in a journal and reading it in our community. It's like uh, that's for academics or scholars, but what, what royalty does, it, it, it brings the information to black women uh, where you can access it online and have conversations with your girlfriends and, and really uh, be empowered through your sexuality. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, Girl Trek, right? Um, you know, black mm-hmm. women getting in shape, um, you know, running and sort of, you know, looking at Harriet Tubman as the inspiration around that. And mm-hmm. um and then, you know, royalty hot tips to sip for sexual empowerment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. think there's like five Five get-togethers, right? Um, five sips, yes. I think, well, there's, right? Yes, there's five chapters, and we call them sips because it's it's your we're sipping on the tea of sexual health exactly. and empowerment. So, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I was thinking, wow, you know, it'd be really cool if there were um, there was a connection to um, maybe an African. Uh, business that serves tea, and then it's like, okay, this sip. Like when is the first sip available? Right now, so what we are asking um, persons <laughs> that are interested is that you go to the Upspoken Women website, which is upspokenwomen.com, and it is coming this week. So we're mm-hmm. anticipating a release for this week. And if you go to upspokenwomen.com, uh, you'll be um, you'll get more up-to-date information on the exact release date. And you can also go to our Twitter and Facebook and Instagram feeds. Um, it's all, our handle is Upspoken Women there as well. Um, and trust me, Wanda, this is something that you do not want to miss because it's, it's new, it's relevant, and it address, it gives us the outlet to engage in these conversations that we have never had before. You know? Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, it's really exciting. And I was just thinking if there was a um uh a physical site, you know, that people could also like you know how they have uh, what yes. do you call the meetups? You have a have a yes. upspoken meetup, royalty meetup. Yes. I love that concept, but we designed um, this particular toolkit to be accessible online, and what we do encourage women to do is to get together 
with your girlfriends mm-hmm. and create your own safe spaces. So whether it's in the hair salon or if it's in your, you know, at your apartment or, you know, we, we are encouraging women, black women to get together and create their own communities uh, and utilizing this online uh, sexual health empowerment tool uh, mm-hmm. to have these discussions amongst your girlfriends, your aunties, and your grandmothers, and uh, because, you know, a lot of times, like we spoke, said before, um, we mm-hmm. often forget about the older women, and, and older women are very uh, much so um, in need of this information as well, and not only for themselves, but to share with others, you know, because they have mm-hmm. been the gatekeepers for our communities for so long. So by having this information, we can share with others and create our own safe spaces. So there's not a physical space per se that um, Upspoken Women has designated to, to, um, to implement this information, but we are encouraging women to create their own spaces and get together mm-hmm. with their girlfriends and go over the content. Nice, nice. So um, yeah. did you write the script? Um, did you write the story, um, you know, well, for this you know, chat? Well, <laughs> well, what, okay, so what I, I'll tell you, my role in, in, in this uh, program was I, I acted as a, the expert consultant on the content. So we've had a team, and I mean a phenomenal team of women, black women, and this is actually the result of three years of research and community okay. building with black women across mm-hmm. California uh, mm-hmm. via the upspoken social media channels and the website. Um, mm-hmm. We had a very talented copywriter who helped with the language and um, Cal Wellness again, who, um, who, who is supporting the, the, the toolkit and rally um, the team of uh, communications experts over there. So it has been in the making for a, a good, well over three years of mm-hmm. research and engagement. And um, my role was just kind of overseeing the the content in terms of sexual health because that's where my um, expertise lies. And mm-hmm. then the foundations that I had built through my research and my film work as well. Um, in terms of sexual health in black women. So mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. most delighted to be a part of a, such a fantastic team of women um, developing this content. Right. So can, can, can you share a little bit of the first sip <laughs> so that people can like, oh, this sounds really great. <laughs> well, you know, well, yes. So again, just um, so that the uh, listeners understand, um, royalty is a trauma-informed five-step sexual health empowerment tool. It's multi-generational, and it's a way to share information in a fun, culturally relevant, holistic, and visually stimulating way. So um, our first sip. Um, it discusses our secret strength. Um, And just a little passage of it reads, a tea kettle is whistling on a hot stove with the call of our ancestors to preserve our legacy, sexual health experts to protect our bodies, and inner wisdom to support our well-being. 
It's royalty time. This table has been set for black women of all ages and backgrounds to sip on the hottest tips for sexual empowerment. Thirsty? This type of tea hasn't been served in our community until now. It's tea because the message is classified. It's royal because we are queens. The secret? Black women are super powerful. So you will have to tune in uh, for <laughs> the, con- the continuation of SIP 1, um, mm-hmm. which will be released this week. Um, and we're asking that um, women, please, 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 you will not regret going to UpspokenWomen.com and just kind of putting your name down to be a part and to receive uh, the SIPs as they are released. There will be five SIPs and they'll be released weekly. So we're hoping to engage women across California and beyond to um, engage in this content and to share. The most important thing is to to get the information for yourself, but be ready to share the information with others. And our community and our lives are at stake, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and and what's also um, what I I liked about um, SIP one, I seek it not, our secret not for long, um, mm-hmm. is that there are it's interactive. There's an exercise like there's homework. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and then and then there are resources too on on Upspoken. So that's nice too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we wanted to make this engaging and where you have activities that you can do with your friends, with your aunties, with your grandma, with your nieces. Um, mm-hmm. It was meant for you to, to engage in the content, not only read it but and process it, but to kind of have action steps. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you the way that it's been written, just beautifully written. Um, one of our copywriters, Malia, um, mm-hmm. really um, wanted this to be a culturally relevant uh, uh, toolkit in terms of the language and how we present the information. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, I don't want to give too many tips away, but <laughs> even from our anatomy, like if you go online and look at uh, anatomical uh, models, you never ever see anything of women of color. It's always the beige or the pink. And so with royalty, we actually have um, exercises that incorporate us and our melanated goodness and glory, you know. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm speaking, and I know you can hear the excitement in my voice because, I've been around for a while, and and I've never seen anything that captures uh, empowerment and sexuality for black women that was developed by black women. You know, so much Mm. of the research is dictated by older white men. And, mm-hmm. and with our reproductive rights and, with, um, and especially in research, but this provides a tool that is for us by us, you know, and that I think mm-hmm. makes it especially um, important and special. So it's made for black women by black women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I think about, you know, um, <clears throat> 
uh, the California Wellness um, Foundation, um, mm-hmm. that particular uh, organization has been really on, on, you know, very supportive of these kind of initiatives, you know, that focus like, you know, sort of like culturally relevant uh, strategies yeah. around wellness. Yeah. I mean, the money, I mean, I'm so happy. The organization's been around as long as it has been. Um, because mm-hmm. I know there have been in the past, you know, um, you know, some targeted um, uh, health strategies, you know, for mm-hmm. our community. Um, and like you yeah. mentioned, um, but there haven't been, I mean, it's been like so long ago. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and this particular, yeah. you know, initiative is, is really unique, um, yeah. you know, sort of like sort of hitting us. You know, we like sitting around talking, right, and tea, you Absolutely. know, just you know, taking time out because that's what you have to do when you have tea. You you have to have some time to just sit and just Absolutely. contemplate, meditate because the tea doesn't let you rush because it's hot. Yeah, <laughs> you can't yes. just you can't just like gulp it down because it you'll like it won't feel good. <laughs> you know, if you get it past your lips. Yeah, so yeah, it's just really really wonderful. You know that that we're gonna have this opportunity to do something together, you know, with our other sisters because, you know, we know that we're having this tea. There are other women, you know, in the community having tea too. And so we know that we're a part of this sorority of of, of sisters sipping on health and wellness, you know, around Mm -hmm. sexual health. And and also, you know, I think in in the work you talk about our power, how we're not victims, how we do have control over this is our body. You know, this this is our our gift. You know, Absolutely. this is something that, you know, needs to be cherished and and know and, and first it starts with our cherishing our persons because we Absolutely. are valuable. Yes, yes. And you really, know, really lovely. Mhm. Yeah, thank you. And you know, we 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 intentionally designed this toolkit to address the empowerment piece, you know, because we as black women we're we are resilient. We are powerful, and and a lot of times that get lo- it gets lost in the shuffle. So just as a gentle reminder of our strength and our power, and to rekindle that for those that maybe had the tea get a little warm, we want it to be piping hot. <laughs> so um, we're <laughs> asking again uh, for women to engage with the toolkit, and then also through social media to post their their ways of in, that, that they were encouraged and to share out by using the hashtag I am royalty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, by doing so, that will develop our community and, and provide that space. Although digital, digitally, um, it mm-hmm. will create a space for us to share across the state, across California and beyond. Mm-hmm. Wow, you know, I didn't even hear it until you said it. Yeah. I am royalty. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because I, I was like, what? Yes. <clears throat> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, maybe, yeah, I am royalty. Now I get it. Because like, I was just like, when I first heard about, you know, this initiative, I'm like, Royalty, and I'm like separating it, right? Right. Uh, royalty, like, what is this? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I like the concept. I like, yeah. I love the writing, but I'm not understanding mm-hmm. the name. 
Um, and then okay. up spoken as well. Up spoken. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like the message is in the word. So, like, okay, I'm trying yeah. to understand the word because I know that it's specific <laughs> and it was and and the, it was crafted for a reason. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so like happy I you said, just said that. Yeah. Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Wanda, it's royal because we're queens and toy. T is the classified info, so royalty. Um, mm-hmm. It's a play on words, but we are yeah. we are royal. We are descendants from of kings and queens, and mm-hmm. this is a way to kind of give that gentle reminder of who we are, and and how to embrace ourselves holistically. Not only our mental health, physical, but our sexual health is is just as important, and um, be, having the space to to explore that through the the royalty uh, toolkit, I think is is very much so needed. And I just really hope and pray that women will, after hearing this, will go to upspokenwomen.com and sign up to get the downloadable SIPs um, that will be released starting this week. So it's coming soon. So please go. <laughs> And, and sign up to, to receive your, your first and second sip, um, as we say, for royalty. Yes. Super. Excellent. Yeah. And and do you have a website if people are interested, you know, in your film? Um, like can they, can they rent it to watch or something? You know, it, the film has not been released. It's been a large part of my work in terms of going and showing the film and I wanted to make sure that we had space to have dialogue around the film. Mm-hmm. So we've been traveling for many, many years doing screenings. And oftentimes I bring some of the women uh, from the film nice. to have uh, mm. as panelists for discussions. Um, but you can always go to the Facebook page. It's Even Me Film um, is mm-hmm. the handle and, and request a screening. Um, but we're hoping to make that film available because it's still, I mean, we've been, we completed this film in 2012 and it still has legs, Wanda. It's still very mm-hmm. relevant and we still screen it across the country. So, so yeah, I definitely need to take next steps to get distribution so people can just purchase it or watch it online or maybe have it accessible on YouTube or something. But those steps have yet to be, to be determined. Okay. All righty. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have like a couple of more minutes, I just wanted to conclude with just sort of asking you about yourself and how you came to be interested in in this kind of work because it's so necessary. Um, but it it's, is you know, so it's, it's so wonderful that you're doing it. You know, looking at um, you know our women, you know, in our community, yeah. particularly the particular um, you know age range that mm-hmm. you're focusing on, you know, sort of like yeah. the people that nobody flirts with anymore. <laughs> right. Exa- yes. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you, um, I have been, I worked in the field of aging for many, many years, but mm. what really stood out to me was uh, my own personal story and my family where my, and I'm glad you asked because I often share this story um, when I'm out on the road speaking about the film, but my great aunt, she was in her 80s, and she 
she was like the pillar of her community, very active in civil rights, and she worked in the health profession. And she was very meticulous about her health care. She would schedule her annual visits, you know, meticulously. And we started noticing some declines with her, some cognitive impairment, and she started to isolate. And she was like, I guess, maybe 85 or 86. And no one knew what was going on with Aunt Chris. And so we're like, what is what is going on? And her son, who was in charge of her care, he would talk to the doctor and say, you know, there's something really going on. And the, the health care provider would dismiss his, his inquiries as, well, she's getting old and older people don't forget. And they sometimes, I, and, you know, everything that was going on with her, the doctor attributed to her age. Mm-hmm. And me being in the field of aging, I was just infuriated by this because that's oftentimes what happens to older women. We don't, they're, they're not taken fully seriously <laughs> with, when the health system or overlooked altogether. And we mm-hmm. knew something was going on. So what we later found out, to make the long story short, was that she had an undiagnosed STI, which is sexually transmitted infection, that spread to oh. her brain, Wanda. Wow. It spread to her brain, and mm. she had mm. syphilis. Yeah. So here we yeah. have. 85-year-old woman who had, mm-hmm. you know, and syphilis is treatable. I mean, you take kind of pill yeah, and is. you're good, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. for that to be overlooked in terms of her health because she's of a certain age and you wouldn't mm-hmm. think to give her a battery of, sex, you know, STIs and, and her testing because of her age, it just infuriated me. And I, that was the development of my career. <laughs> and because okay. I just couldn't stand the oversight of older black women. And, mm-hmm. um, and Even Me was developed, which is the, the title of the film, um, yes. as a result of that. Because once I oh. looked into the research and saw that HIV, I mean, mm-hmm. my, the statistics, my jaw dropped to the ground, Wanda, when I saw the rates of how older black women were being impacted by HIV and I had to do mm-hmm. something about it. So that was my mm-hmm. way of doing something about it. So, wow. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really interesting how um, a lot of times the passion one has for one's work is personal. Yeah. And uh, yes. yeah, yeah. That's why you stick with it because you think about yep. your aunt Chris like yeah. oh no i'm i'm this is what i do <laughs> no. exactly you know, Chris, you know like you think about yes. all these aunt chris's you know that don't have a have a, a niece like you right so you got to yes. do it for aunt chris yes. mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely yeah. and so it has been just my small contribution to the world so when i was mm-hmm. asked to be a part of the royalty toolkit i was more than happy and, and excited to to promote a work that is focused on black women and our sexual health because it is far too often overlooked in in our mm-hmm. society today. Yes. Right, yeah. So so do you have on your crown you wearing purple? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm excited about the release of the first 
second sip, Wanda. So mm-hmm. please, you know, as a, as an ally to to royalty, just please continue to talk to your listeners about mm-hmm. this tool Definitely. and how mm-hmm. it can be a benefit to them and their communities, and how we can share this information with others. It's so so vitally important. Mm, certainly. So the SIPs will um, be released one a week over a month, like starting this week? Yes. Yeah, so um, chapter or SIPs one and two will be released this week. So we're okay. anticipating um, one and two being released this week. So you'll have to go to mm-hmm. unspokenwomen.com, and, mm-hmm. and you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The handle is upspokenwomen. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you'll get all of the up-to-date information about chapter releases. Okay. All right. Great. And September and, and is after, the month. And yes. September is the month. Okay. Great. Yes. Great. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm really looking forward yes. to the sips, the other sips. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And hopefully, Wanda, you can have us back once we release and maybe have some questions mm-hmm. from viewers or from from some yeah. person who are engaging in the toolkit. That would be wonderful. That would be really great. Yeah, maybe, you know, yeah, because you'll have all of these responses. Yeah, it would be great if we can have yeah. women call in and talk about, you know, how they've been enjoying the royalty um, so far. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That would be wonderful. Right. So we can continue yeah, yeah. the dialogue. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would be really excellent. Yes, yeah, important because, you know, black women – you know, and black women's, you know, sexual health is something that's overlooked, um, uh, mm-hmm. as, you know, you mentioned in your story, and, and it continues to, to be a problem. And, you yeah. know, yesterday it was interesting. Um, I hadn't realized it when I checked. The news yesterday was uh, Constitution Day, and, you know, we mm. think about, you know, Reconstruction and how that uh, sort of shaped uh, the nature of the Constitution around the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, you know, where yeah. black men got the vote, but black women didn't. Women didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. we look at the 13th Amendment, and they say everything changed with the 14th and 15th, but no, you know, that three-fifths clause, mm-hmm. right? That means that we still have exactly. slavery. And yeah. and then, and then you know, we don't even talk about, so where are black women in this, this picture? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know yeah. how do black women show up? you know, in this construct, and black women are not visible. Not at all. Not at all. No. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at the consequences of not having the visibility or the attention mm-hmm. paid to our, our issues, because even, I mean, when you look at the SIPs as well, we acknowledge, you know, the history, because, I mean, mm-hmm. you can't move forward unless you know the history. And when you look at it, Wanda, I mean, we could talk about this for hours of how black women were treated, you know, from being stolen women from the motherland and how that impacted our sexual self-identity. You know, there have been several books written on that. Um, One notable book that comes to mind is The Stolen Women, Reclaiming Our Sexuality, Mm. Taking Back Our Lives by Dr. Gail Wyatt. I mean, Mm. we are dealing not only with today and now, but the residue of what happened to us and our ancestors that has been passed on from generation to generation um, that, you know, impacts our sexual health identity today. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much uh, history behind 
what's going on in terms of our sexual health and our overall health because you notice we fare far worse than, than any other group mm-hmm. on every on every uh, health issue, you know. So right. mm-hmm. this is one step, I believe, in a positive direction to, to begin to talk about um, women and their health and their sexual health in particular to, that empowers us to to do things that serve us in the best way that, that we can at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then this information, um, you know, having having this royalty is an opportunity to um to free, you know, one's one's sexual um yeah. sexuality. Um, because you know, you think mm-hmm. about the criminalization of, of sex, you know, in, yeah. in, in this Western culture and yeah. and so and so enjoyment and pleasure are yeah. are not something that are that's celebrated and we have we we're made the way we're made because of pleasure but exactly. then if you but if you if it's criminalized <laughs> or yep. or stigmatized then it's like you yeah. know people sneaking around and that that's how yep. that's how these these infections and these illnesses yeah. happen because exactly. you know people aren't talking about it boldly and widely which is what's yeah. going to happen, you know, with this release of the first sip and the next sip yeah. and the next sip and the next sip. It's like, oh, hey, girl, you know, it's like, you know, like, no, I'm not shutting down anything. I'm just going to be safe yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be yeah. in control. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, it, and you know, like you said, Wanda, it's okay. You know, there's no judgment. And that was one of the one of the things that we focused on uh, through the, the the design and the development of, Royalty. It's a sex positive mm. empowerment tool, you know, where you're free to enjoy your sexual life as you see fit, um, mm-hmm. but then also giving the tools necessary to do it in a way that is safe and keeps you healthy and empowers you. So, mm-hmm. it, and it encourages Black women to prioritize their health and well being in the way yeah. that they seem suitable for themselves. And however you define that is your prerogative, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, again, Wanda, it's, it's very exciting um, because it's innovative, it's new, and I think it speaks to the topic in a way that has never been done. And I am just so proud of the team and the efforts that they put forth in developing this kit. And I'm just happy to just play a small role in, mm-hmm. in helping to uh, with the content and, and making, uh, making sure that it's promoted in a way that is uplifting and empowering to our community. So I'm very, very excited and can't wait to see how, how this takes off. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, my next guest is still not in the studio, so one more question uh, about the term "upspoken." Where did that come from? How did your How did the team come up with "upspoken" as as the website that hosts um, royalty? Well, you know, "upspoken" um, was developed through a grant from the California Wellness Foundation, and Mm -hmm. it was created as a communications campaign to Mm -hmm. to raise awareness about. Um, and to address the disproportionately rising rates of HIV and AIDS and sexually transmitted infections among black women. So 
So the name of the campaign is meant to encourage black women to speak up and Mm -hmm. for and be unapologetic about prioritizing their sexual health. Um, So the term upspoken, you know, we're we're encouraging black women to speak up and to be unapologetic about the priority of their sexual health. Mm, So, and then the campaign itself, um, Mm -hmm. it comes comes to life through an online community of black women. um, And that's the website. And if you, if you visit the website, there's all types of resources and articles um, Mm -hmm. that address sexual health among black women and, you know, how to communicate with your doctors and with your partners. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a platform for black women, by black women, again, uh, to be able to discuss and talk about their sexual health and do so in a way that's nonjudgmental and, mm-hmm. and, and supportive for black women. Right, yeah. And, and what I like about it, also, um, besides you know all of those great aspects that you um, you share, um, are mm-hmm. the beautiful photographs of these beautiful black women. Um, it, it's yeah. just like gorgeous. It's just like a like you could just look at the pictures and say, "Ooh, this is so uh-huh. nice." And you you just you just feel good just looking at all the pictures of these smiling women of African descent that are looking happy and healthy and yeah, yeah moving on and, and you know yeah yeah. yeah. yeah pulling themselves together, recovering, you know, like, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's well, a very know, uplifting sight. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, Wanda, and it is, I, I feel so happy because the team that adds to that website, and I mean, there is, it's so intentional. Every aspect of that website, of the Upspoken campaign, is so intentional and it's for us. Like you very seldom see campaigns that pay special attention to black women. And it's like mm-hmm. this is going to be a place for us to challenge the taboos and the stigmas around sex, you know, especially within the black community, you know, um, and, and, and to encourage women to speak openly about their sex lives and risk factors and their health, you know. Because as mm-hmm. you mentioned before, it's the secrecy and the shame and the stigma that keeps us quiet, and 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 it and it allows for these um, infections to persist because people don't talk about them. The spread of them uh, allows because I'm so I, I don't want to share that perhaps I contracted HIV. I mean, when you mentioned Lloyd from the film. Um, how mm-hmm. it took him a while to even be able to to demonstrate that he was going to get help and and to to deal with his diagnoses. So mm-hmm. I think by starting to destigmatize the, the 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 topic, I mean sex. We need to talk about sex. And if you <laughs> go into the toolkit, the SIP, oh you. And I, I don't want to give too much away, Wanda, but we go into the 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 music and how each sip is a, is is our sound the musical soundtrack behind our our lives and how let's talk about sex you know is one of the songs that we mention and we need to be able to have these conversations 
to empower ourselves and to heal our communities. So mm-hmm. very excited to, to be a part of this project. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And yes, yeah, certainly let's, let's definitely um, have another conversation, um, um, you know, at the end of the month, you know, or beginning of October, just to see how, how it's coming along and what women that are thinking sounds wonderful. sharing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that would be great, Miss Wanda. Okay, cool. Super. Well, great to speak to you, um, Dr. Megan. It's been really, really lovely and looking forward, you know, to continue conversations and to, you know, exploring other work and certainly to having you come back up with some folks uh, to do yeah. another um, screening roundtable with, you know, people around um you know, HIV and AIDS uh, in the 50-plus community. Oh, that would be wonderful, Wanda. Now, Mm -hmm. is it okay if I just give one last plug on how to to get in touch with us? Okay. Mm -hmm, So to go on (laughs) and to to be a part of the the royalty community, um, you want to go to upspokenwomen.com and our Facebook Twitter and Instagram uh, handle is Upspoken Women. So please go to those uh, social media outlets and that will give you the most up-to-date information on chapter releases. And our SIPs 1 and 2 will be released this week. So stay tuned and go to the website for the most up-to-date information. Okay. And, And I'm on the website, and so I was wondering, where does a person, um, I guess, uh, register, um, find out about the SIPs? Where, where do you, which, which one of these um, headings is should the person should we go to? Okay, hold on. Spoken. Okay. I will go on myself, Miss Bonda. Okay. Um, if you go to the social media, the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, if you mm-hmm. follow, they give they provide a link there on the um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then on the website itself, we want to go to your sign up for our newsletter. Down at all, okay. go all the way down to the bottom, and you can mm-hmm. sign up there. And then that way you'll be alerted to all of the um, updates in terms of the the royalty release steps. Okay, cool, super. All, all right. right. Thank. You. All right, thank you. Uh, all right. Thank you, Wanda. I appreciate you um, and your willingness to to do what you do and to help get the word out about uh, the needs and of our community. So I appreciate the work that you do and thankful mm-hmm. that you uh, gave us an opportunity to share the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm really happy that um, Ayana reached out to um you know, the Bayview, and, and Mary passed it on, passed it on to me, and we were able to yeah. find out about royalty. So it's like, I'm glad yeah. I'm in the loop. I mean, I've missed your film yeah. screenings. Like, oh, darn, but we're, we're, I didn't miss this. <laughs> no, 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 and there will be yeah. more. So we're working on more content, so we'll be sure to keep you in the loop, Wanda. Oh, that's awesome. Super, super. <laughs> well, again, All it's great right. speaking to you, and I hope you have a really a good rest of the day. 
Thank you. You as well. Have a great day. Bye. Talk to you soon. You All right. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye. So we are going to um, uh, play a song um, that uh, Shapeshifter um, has released um, on a, a new, um, well, she hasn't released a new album yet, um, but uh, Abracadabra Africa is so awesome. And we're going to see if we can get her in the studio, but we're going to play play the uh, this song in the meantime. Shapeshifter, her name, self-love, her claim to fame, African who knows her name, witch, stay up in your lane, never a hoe, YOLO, wall fall down like Jericho, she be deep like ESO, it's 415 out of 510, melanin first, believe, dark matter of antiquity, earth moves and she breathes, fertile moon cosmic seas, the first one to make the booty pop, Genesis building block, mind keen like a hawk, archetype, queen of the flock, Africa, Africa, Some of us know our name. 
children are slaves. We aim to be free. Fuck their philosophy. Melanin on fleek with my trap electric. I'm a boss on this beat. Watch me get deep. Pay your respects. Hold your applause. Africa, Africa, Africa. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was IKEA Harris, also known as Shape Shifter. And uh, her EP, After Darkness, is going to be released September 27th. And uh, that is um, Africa, Dabrica, Africa. You can see that. You can watch the um, the video, which is very awesome. Um, yeah, you see our sister, um, Karen Seneferu, you know, sort of dancing and showing up uh, in her and other, other black women, um, you know, on the beach in their white, um, you know, wearing their their Black Woman as God T-shirts, and then we've got Shape Shifter. She's in uh, a shoe lake, but colors, you know, red and black. She also is wearing white. It's really, really beautiful, and we're gonna try to get get her in the studio. Um, but we're gonna play uh, a rebroadcast of uh, of an interview last week because there's a lot happening this week. Um, uh, the um, the 14th home season and 6th anniversary of Push Fest Dance Festival is this weekend, um, Friday through Sunday, September 20th through 22nd at ODC Theater, uh, 3173 17th Street in San Francisco. You can get tickets at pushdance.org. And um, also um, tomorrow is the beginning of the Oakland International Film Festival. It's going to be in various venues throughout um, Oakland. Um, you know, it's going to be at Grand Lake Theater. It's going to be at the um, um, the, the theater um, in Jack London Square. Uh, it's going to be where else? It's going to be. It's going to be in a few places. Some new places too. <laughs> it's going to be at Holy Names University. So you can just go online to um, Oakland International Film Festival dot org. Um, the acronym for that. <laughs> and you can find out all about it. Uh, it's going to be simply phenomenal. And I'm going to rebroadcast that interview maybe tomorrow. I might have a Thursday broadcast. And uh, and also tomorrow, um, there's so much happening uh, this week. It's going to be like a super-duper powerful, wonderful weekend of, of great art. Can't go wrong. So I uh, also um, am going to be uh, having on the air in this rebroadcast um, Darlene Jane Oni uh, Esela, and she's an Oakland-based artist, and she is um, one of the subjects in Soya Rose's uh, current um, sculpture installation, installation called um, Counting the Hours, Art Data and the Untold Stories of Women's Work, and, um, and, the, and the new exhibition, uh, well, the Exhibition is a part of the Caring Stones project, and it's at Code and Canvas. And there is a re- artist reception tomorrow with a special performance at 7:30. So the reception is six to nine. The special performance is at 7:30. So I want to make sure you don't miss that too. You can't do everything. You can't be everywhere. However, <laughs> um, yeah. However, um, it's going to be really phenomenal. So I'm going to play that interview right now. And uh, yeah, in joy and join us for another edition of wanda's picks on friday morning maybe tomorrow so you can follow us 
just so you don't miss anything. Wandaspicks.com. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, the Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Aishu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. and we So we should definitely exercise our options and not feel that there's only one one way or one answer to, uh, to the question we might be facing um, at that particular moment. And we are so excited to have Risa Simpson, um, Push Dance Company founder and artistic director, joining us to talk about the 14th home season and the 6th anniversary of Push Fest Dance Festival, which is featuring, uh, among other things, Mothership 3, uh, choreographed by Risa Simpson. We're looking forward to Mothership 3, Mothership 1, and Mothership 2 were awesome. And a world premiere uh, by Gerald Castle, which we will um, let her tell us about. And there are going to be four different programs of local and visiting artists over three evenings, Friday through Sunday, September 20th through 22nd at ODC Theater in San Francisco, 3173 17th Street. And so you don't want to sleep on this and you don't want to not get your tickets, so you should visit Push dance.org forward slash festival. So again, <laughs> welcome, Risa. Happy to have you joining us. It's been a minute. Yeah. Hi, Wanda. It's, it's great to be back and thank you for bringing me on the show. Yeah, yeah. And so we were talking a little bit beforehand um, about the uh, some of the behind-the-scenes information about Push Dance uh, Company and uh, Push Fest. And and you were saying that you actually um, you had to like uh, take off a year. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because you have a little one now who uh, just made his entrance around that time, right? That is true. I have an 11 month old son, and uh, last year I took a hiatus because I was in the hospital delivering <laughs> my son, and <laughs> it was definitely. Um, you know, wonderful. It was, you know, beautiful birth, and he's a wonderful child, and everybody at the festival, um, you know, they just kind of took over, and it went well, so it was really great, and um, again, this is coming up, 
And it just seems like for my life, everything happens in September. <laughs> so now mm-hmm. we're planning his first birthday party. <laughs> wow, that is so awesome. Congratulations on that account as well. Wow. So tell us about um, this this uh, iteration of the festival, and maybe we could start with your Mothership 3. Yeah, let's. Do it. So as I took a hiatus, so did Mothership, and I was working on a multi-year project called Code Lining that filled in for it because I wanted to I wanted to be there to see the final installment of the trilogy, and Mothership, um, the whole trilogy, the undertone. Well, not actually the undertone. The the actual um, feature of this is Afrofuturism. And for those um, who are wondering what Afrofuturism is or, or, you know, or you think you may know, um, it's, it's evolving, but it's an aesthetic of African culture through the lens of African diaspora. And that can include pop culture like Missy Elliott or movies like Black Panther. Um, but it can also include art and science and technology, so it's not always science fiction as um, I think, you know, I, when I was coming into it, I, I thought it was. It's a broad reimagining of our future by altering um, storylines from our past. So I just wanted to, you know, just kind of start there and then talk a little bit, you know, about how I needed three dance pieces to <laughs> to really explore Afrofuturism. So my first piece looked at the past, and so I altered um, a narrative from the past where there's this um, dystopian, I guess, group of people who didn't know anything about slavery, and all they knew was the founding fathers and it was so bizarre that they even dressed up um, like the founding fathers. Um, and then the second one, I looked at the future. And in the future, um, there was no um, history of colonization. So colonization didn't exist. And the future just dealt with um how another society dealt with um, just indigenous culture and how it was very prevalent in everything that they did. So there's a lot of spirituality. Um, there was a lot of honoring the ancestors and the elders. So it was a little bit different. And this piece is going to look at the present. So I'm a little nervous about that, but <laughs> mm. it's going to look <laughs> what's going on in 2019. Mm. Oh, that sounds really intriguing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, some of the same um, company members um, are um, going to be joining you in this, this particular um, iteration of the work? Yes, yes, which is very exciting. I'm glad that um, I have about three folks that um, have been through one, two, and now three. So that's very exciting. 
And mm-hmm. we always bring on two apprentices in the company, so we always have new people. And then we have two new company members joining us. Yeah, nice. And and who are they? Uh, the two new company members are Joshua Till and Niara Hardister. Um, if everyone um, has seen our poster, if or, or if anyone has seen our poster, um, she is the one that's um, on the poster. She's our our um, model, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it was really interesting. And as I was looking at how to present the present. I had to go back to Octavia Butler's novels like Kindred. Um, nice. But I also saw that, you know, the reason why she put date characters in her novels, she got this question um, from an editor. An editor asked, oh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he asked her something along the lines of, like, if you have aliens in your novels, why do you need black people in them? Wow, seriously. So, seriously, yeah. She made it a point to put black people in her novels to make them characters that mm-hmm. interfaced or interacted with alien beings. And so um, in my piece, what I decided to do was I told everybody, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make all the black people in the piece aliens. And at first my group was like, what? And I was like, yeah, because when I was dancing – I played the slave, I played the strong-willed black woman, I played the angry black woman, but I never got to play a mythical creature. I never got to be a sylph or a fairy or, you know what I mean? It's like I really Mm -hmm. wanted to see what it was like to make a piece where um, we come from another planet to enlighten the people on Earth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. And also, um, I want to allow you an opportunity to, like, name your other company members, not just the uh, the new folks that are joining the company this this, uh, this season. Sure. Returning with us is Ashley Gill. She's our rehearsal director. We have Gal Saifon. Uh, we have Courtney Hope. And our apprentices are Jean-Paul Alejandro and Annie Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, yeah. And and you are an interdisciplinary artist best known for your choreography and social activism in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, you founded Push Dance Company uh, to instill your deep interest in little-known or untold stories seen in the public eye, and you've got all kinds of accolades um, from Dance Spirit Magazine. They say your work is reflective contemporary choreography, um, that you've presented your works, and you've also presented your works in over 50 venues across the United States. And recent highlights include Dance St. Louis, CIS, uh Spring to Dance, uh, Link Hall in Chicago, First Center for the Arts at Georgia Tech. A lot of hanging out in the in the uh, southern at southern part of the country. <laughs> uh, Joy Soho in New York City, uh, Washington Ensemble Theater, Evolve Dance Festival in New York, Los Angeles Theater Center, and Black Choreographers Festival, where I think I saw you recently as um, a, um, are we, do you call it mentor um, uh, choreographer? Um, when you yeah. Get, uh, another, okay, yeah. And, and that um, is from Young Artist. Yeah. Right, yeah, and you were um, 
uh, it was the um, um, Irie um, Dance Company um, choreographer. I'm blank right now. Ah, who was the choreographer for Irie? Oh yeah, Sherry Hill. Yeah, Sherry Hill, right? Because she just had a um, the full length piece, and I was not in town, and I missed it. I'm like, ah. Oh. I know that that was an amazing piece. At least, you know, what I saw when I was mentoring her was about displacement, and she had a yes. really great on it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really good at that, you know, really nice, funky kind of space in the middle. Like, you don't expect to have a dance theater company right there where it is in San Francisco. <laughs> right, right, yeah. you know. Yeah, walking distance from Powell, Powell Street Bart, and it's just so lovely. It's like a, I'm really happy that um, that a Black Choreographers Festival, um, you know, that they that they have you know art like within the community spaces, which is very nice. Yeah, that is Kendra and Laura have a really good vision uh, for that company, as as you do, and um, you guest taught uh, at uh, ACT. Santa Clara University, UC Davis, Sacramento State, Stanford University, San Francisco State University, Alonzo King Lines Dance Center, First Presents San Jose Dance Theater, Marin School, and many others. I thought I was going to see your alma mater in there um, that you might have taught there too, but I guess not yet. Um, I have, yeah. Oh, um, oh yeah. Okay. I don't know if you're done with the list, but I also wanted to mention that um, Adriana Thompson, the director of SoSkin, mm. they have um, a show going up this weekend. She flew us out to Colorado for 10 days, mm. and she did a mm. partnership with a group called Dance Initiative. So we were in the Rocky Mountains um, mm. this year to develop um, the project that I mentioned before, Code Lining. So I just wanted to yes. also – make sure that I put that on the list because it was a wonderful experience to bond with mm. your company members. You know, you learn a lot about people when you're together in the woods for 10 days. And, yeah. Um, I just want to make sure I mention that too. <laughs> oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that's not in your list. <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to let everyone know I'm reading from pushdance.org forward slash Risa, you know, um, she is the woman. Of the hour and the minute and the second, <laughs> and you've got lots of grants and yeah, I I um I really like it that you've done you know work in public space. I mean, I think I remember seeing you you had some work in um, the Oakland Museum of California. Um, you've had work at Museum of the African Diaspora. Uh, I mean, I really it's just like really great to see like oh wow she's here like right here out in the open. <laughs> Oh, but it was really great, you know. Yeah, and then I think you've also um, collaborated with um, uh, Joanna Haygood's um, Zako Dance Company, right? That is true, yeah. Joanna um, and I, I think I started in 2007 collaborating with her. And mm-hmm. um, she's out in the Bayview um, district. I, um, after the festival, will be returning to the Bayview Opera House, and that has been a place for um, a lot of innovation for my work. They've been really generous with their space, and we're rehearsing there now. And mm-hmm. we're going to be developing a new piece together 
um, Push and Bayview Opera House are going to be working on a piece on the painter Archibald Mosley, who was oh, really yeah. popular. Oh, I love this work. It's so it's so like rich in color and playful. Exactly. Yeah, he was wonderful with depicting African Americans in the nighttime scenes, and mm. he he really um, you know represented the lights and the colors beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it was it Harlem Renaissance or or other eras? You know, I think it was other eras, but okay. I think that some of his work became very popular during that time. But I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. he was a painter during that time. But mm-hmm. I think that his work spanned over a couple of different um, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done a lot of work in Bayview um, in, in various capacities. I think you did some things around. Uh, with youth, uh, I think it's storytelling and film. Um, you've collaborated with some of the uh, uh, organizations there in, in Bayview, um, besides ZACO, if I'm remembering correctly, on um, some of your other um, works that you've uh, choreographed. That's true. Um, it started off with um, mixed messages. We were working mm-hmm. in my group with Third Street Youth Center and Clinic, and that turned into looking at the um, naval shipyard and the cleanup there, um, the toxic cleanup. So we started to evolve it into environmental justice. Um, and I think, you know, overall, I've been kind of like quiet about um, my art because I always think that I have a lot of time to develop it, and I never really, um, you know, scream or shout, you know, I'm doing this over here, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. it's just because sometimes pieces take about two years to actually develop and research, so once it's finally going up, it's like, oh, shoot, I probably should have told people that I was doing this, like, two years ago, <laughs> but <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> Oh, right, right, yeah. Well, I'm glad that um, I found out about, you know, Push Fest um, before it happened this year. And, uh, yeah, Mary's really a great partner with you. And so, yeah, tell us more about Push Fest, uh, especially, you know, um, some of your world premieres and each, you know, each is, each performance, you, like you have these um, uh, four programs, right? Like that's, wow, it's like it's going to be really a jam-packed weekend. It is, and we went from two programs to four programs this year. Um, but let me <laughs> tell everybody what Push Fest is, the who, what, when, where. So Push Fest mm-hmm. is a dance festival that um, works with or presents emerging and mid-career choreographers that come from different dance genres. So you can have Katak dance, classical Indian dance, next to a hip-hop dancer, next to a ballet dancer, next to a modern dancer. And it's kind of um, unique in that sense because a lot of dance festivals focus on a specific genre, and we um, decided to open it up. So it's going to be at the ODC Theater, and there's going to be four programs. There's two programs on our Sunday program at 4.30 and 7.30. And the other two programs, opening night, is on Friday at 8 p.m. 
and Saturday, so at 8 p.m. And you can get your tickets, and it's, I mean, it's going to be an amazing show. And each year it sells out, and I always tell people, well, if you just buy ahead of time, you don't have to worry about lines, and you don't have to be disappointed when you get there. So we're telling everybody to visit our website at www.pushdance.org slash festival and get your tickets now. So we have over 20-plus choreographers and over about 50 performers in the show. And we have folks coming from New York, like Jamal Jackson, who's returning. He was um, one of our Push Fest Audience Choice Award winners. So the audience voted for his piece, and he's an award winner. He's coming back on Saturday. We also have Jocelyn Mathis-Reed, who is one of our um, artists participating in a mentorship program with co-director... KT Nelson of ODC. So mm. that is huge. I mean, KT Nelson is an international choreographer and she's mentoring three of our artists. The other two are Perry Trono and Bumi Patel. And Perry will be in program A and Bumi Patel will be doing an installation piece in program B. So that's exciting. And I've got to visit the rehearsals. We have video up on our Facebook event page if you want to check out what they've been working with with KT. Um, We also have coming back to us from Ohio State, um, we have Nyama McCarthy-Brown, and she is a San Francisco native. So she's coming back to us to do a piece with her son, and it's going to be amazing. And that's program B. And I'm not finished yet. Still, we have people. <laughs> we have another artist from Indiana, Kathleen Hickey, who will be joining us. And our local artists also include Jennifer Grafilio. You don't want to miss her. Sierra Don. You don't want to miss her. Megan Horowitz from San Jose. Tony Nguyen coming all the way from the Sacramento area. So we're very pleased with the artists we've got. We um, also have some favorites that are known locally here, Yoyawi Kambara and dancers, and we have David Herrera Performance Company. So I wouldn't miss this show. What it is is that for these artists, Push Fest is a time for us to reconnect and all come together. So the spirit on stage is just lifted off the floor when everybody's dancing. Everybody is just so happy to once again be together and in the room for each other. We also focus on marginalized voices and those voices that probably haven't been presented um, on a stage like this or within the public light. So we bring all of those folks together and we bring it all to Push Fest and it happens once a year. So I'll just say it again. Don't be the one that missed it this year. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about, um, I, I mentioned earlier that um, you have a uh, uh, a world premiere by Gerald Cassell. And, um, yeah, tell us, tell us about this, this work in the choreographer. This is actually a really great story because Gerald Cassell and I, um, 
I knew who Derek Cassell was. He was a choreographer out of Juilliard um, in New York. He mm-hmm. fought at Juilliard. He had his own dance company. And he came um, to teach over at UC Santa Cruz. He lives in San Francisco, and this is where his company is based. So he brought me in to do a year-long program called Dancing Around Race, where we just focused on race and racial equity and inequity here in the Bay Area. So when I was looking at Push Lab for this year, um, typically I ask company members to make a piece, but I had already asked everybody that was returning and my new company members. I didn't want to, like, you know, bring that on them too soon. So I asked Gerald. I was like, Gerald, what do you think about doing Push Lab? So he's our first um guest choreographer outside of Push to make a piece, and he has 10 amazing dancers. Um, Two of our apprentices will be performing in the piece, and Joshua Till, our company member, will be joining them as a guest performer. Mm. And the dancers um, only have about six days to put together a piece, and it was clear that by the first day, this was going to be um, an amazing work. So he's going to be working without sound, mm. so no music. And he's going to be um, creating this work for the stage at ODC Theater. We're going to have a showing tonight at Alonzo King Line Dance Center. So this is perfect timing to be on the show. And that's at mm. 7 p.m. If mm-hmm. anyone wants to, you know, get a preview. Um, gorgeous work. And I love the way that Gerald works. It's very collaborative. It's very just kind of like um, organic. There's nothing that, you know, he doesn't sort of like generate. He does it through writing, through discussing, and through those types of devices, um, he creates works for for different bodies, for different dance backgrounds, and it really all kind of melds together. So I'm glad that I took the chance (laughs) to ask somebody, you know, to ask somebody else to sort of, you know, like come in and help change the process or, you know, what I – had done in the past, so I'm very glad that I did, and I think Gerald was the perfect person um, to do that. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, that is really awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, because your Push Fest is the kind of um, event, artistic event, that you really have to just dedicate your whole weekend to because you can't just do one evening (laughs) because... Everything is all is all different. So you either have to make a choice and just say, Oh man, I'm gonna have to miss this night and that one. Um <laughs> or or you just say, Okay, this is what I'm doing this weekend and, and, and definitely, you know, one won't be disappointed because I did it one weekend. I don't know what iteration it was and it was just fabulous. It's because where where O D C is is a great place to hang out. You know, there are things you can do. You can go sit in the park and just relax, um, or you can go to one of the wonderful little, um, you know, shops and have some coffee. Because right there on the corner, there's 
a cafe, right, that's connected to the theater building. And it be- True. Yeah. You don't even yeah. have to go far. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really nice. Yeah. So I was wondering, we have like a few minutes uh, left, and I was just wondering if you could just talk about just uh, just your aesthetic and, um, and and you know, wow, um, with Mother Mothership 3, wow, and you're in the present now, and there's so much happening. Oh, my goodness. And... Wow, just just talk about you know just sort of your art making and and how you come to it and and because it's definitely valuable and it's definitely important. Um, one can see that in in your community work, you know, trying to you know impact the lives of children so that they can also have this vehicle to tell story. I appreciate that, and yeah, the process um, is one where I just look at who's in the room with me and how can I give them a sense of agency and ownership over the work. Um, In Mothership 3, I had fully intended to create a piece in my signature style of showing how I move dancers across the stage and how they walk and how they glide. And then as I was in rehearsal, I had my son with me, and he's so young, you know, he was just kind of like, Mommy, come down here with me, sit, and crawl, and get on the ground. So I took all of that movement, and I put it on the floor. So Mm -hmm. the company is moving around on the ground, you know, sometimes without legs or arms, it's just like torso rolling, and... You know, it's like, how do we, you know, crawl over our back? How do we roll over on our side? How do we find our side body, our front body, our, you know, posterior? And how do we create a dance? So being in the room, you know, with these artists, they they can do it. I mean, they're professionals and they're just like, yeah, I can turn this walking phrase into a floor phrase. And... You know, in my creative mind, and what is that? That's like my imagination. Um, This went beyond what I thought I could actually create. So Mothership 3 is definitely going to look different, not just from the other two, but from anything really that I've ever made. But Mm -hmm. it's really um, surprising, even myself, what I could do. And Mm -hmm. it's just a gorgeous piece of work and hopefully you know um the audience isn't like what's this who made this <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh Rachel <laughs> okay right so some yeah. of my aesthetic is that it's just you know what's going on breathe life into it and you know honor the the sense of risk and chance and mm-hmm. not having control um, innovation and just let the piece kind of just, you know, speak for itself, develop on its own. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Raisa. It's always wonderful to speak to you. Congratulations on, you know, your son's one year um, evolution around the sun. And congratulations on Push Fest um, home season. Um, 14th home season and 6th anniversary and 
Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, Mothership 3 and all of the other work that's coming up. I'm not going to be able to make it tonight, but that's really exciting for those who get to, you know, Alonzo King's Lines uh, Dance Company to see the uh, the preview of this world premiere. That's going to be really awesome from Gerald Cassell. So, yeah, um, people should definitely visit pushdance.org forward slash festival and go to the Facebook page to see um I guess, video of some of the performances to sort of whet your appetite and see what's coming up. So, again, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Wanda, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. Everybody have a beautiful day. All right, you too. Peace and blessings. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Ah, good morning, um, Soya Rose, Soya Rose, um, are you with us? Yes, I am. And hi, Wanda, good morning. Hi, good morning. Is uh, uh, Darlene uh, Jane, is she with you as well? I don't hear Darlene. Okay, I, no, I meant like in the room with you, like you're oh, she's no, right she's with you. Oh, no, she's calling in also. Oh, she's coming in, she's calling in separately. Okay. Alrighty, so let's start with you. Um, <laughs> so Saya Rose uh, is a sculptor, sculpture installation and social practice artist. She's a graduate of Williams College in Massachusetts and currently lives and works in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, uh, when Darlene Jane uh, Oni uh, Epsala joins us, um, uh, she will join the conversation uh, because uh, there is a wonderful uh, work that has gone up uh, one of Sawyer's new exhibitions, collaborations, and it's called Counting the Hours, Art, Data, and the Untold Stories of Women's Work, new art exhibition at by Sawyer Rose and the Carrying Stones Project at Code and Canvas, 151 Portrero Avenue in San Francisco. And it's up September 19th, so not quite yet. Just put in your books through November 2nd. And the gallery is open Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 to 6 and Saturday from 12 to 3 and by appointment. And it's a free admission gallery. Oh, wow. And here is um, Darlene Jane Oni Epsala. Am I pronouncing Hi. all of those names correctly? Uh, Don, Darlene Jane. Darlene Jane Oni is failing. Oni. Ah, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so Sawyer is uh, in the studio. You all can say hi to each other if you like. <laughs> hey, Darlene. Hi, Sawyer. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Darlene Jane is an Oakland-based exhibiting and teaching artist. And, wow, I just love, I love the title, The Carrying Stones Project. Wow, sounds really heavy. But then when you see it, it's like uh, it just looks so Beautiful. Oh my goodness. It's such a beautiful concept. Um, you know, sort Thank of looking you. at at women's work, um and and the untold stories. I was thinking about, you know, the um the great storyteller uh Stubbs Turkle, right? And and he mm-hmm. um, you know, he told a lot of stories of the working people. Um, but I don't know, I mean there were some women in the stories, but not a whole lot because women's <laughs> work was not necessarily uh, it wasn't necessarily documented in the same way that men's work, you know, was and, and still is, you know, to a great extent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why whenever we see things like 
you know, films and books come out, we're like, oh, wow, really? She was, a woman was there? She was there? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so um, why don't you tell us, uh, sorry, a little bit about, you know, Counting the Hours exhibition and how you came up with the idea for it. Okay, well, so the Counting the Hours exhibition is a continuation of the work I've been doing with the Carrying Stones Project, all on the topic okay. of women's work in equity. Mm. Um, it's got a couple new facets, though, for the new show. Um, so there's two parts, really, to this show. There's the large-scale installation pieces, like the one I made mm -hmm. about Darlene's work life. Yeah. And so what I do for those is I find a woman with a really interesting work story. Mm -hmm. And I like that you brought up stories because I do feel like the project is very much about storytelling, the history mm -hmm. of how women live and what they do. Um, so I developed a timekeeping app where my participants, like Darlene, can track the hours that they spend doing paid labor and unpaid labor and then anything else that they do, which typically turns out to be not many other things, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and then I translate that data into a large-scale installation sculpture. So they're really, mm -hmm. like, usually modular and color-coded, so you can actually read, like, oh, wow, okay, she worked 14 hours in a row and then had one hour off. <laughs> and <laughs> then what I do is once the sculpture is built, I – take a photographic portrait of the subject lifting and carrying the sculpture of her hours. So oh. like literally shouldering her burden in, yeah. in like a real physical way. Mm -hmm. um, and then alongside that, when I display it, I actually like tell the woman's history so you can understand what it's all about. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the so those are the installation pieces. And in the Counting the Hours show, I'm doing a new thing too where I'm going to have mm -hmm. some wall works that are also data visualizations, but they cover uh, broader conceptual topics that you hear in the news and maybe don't understand, like, you know, what's the wage gap really about? Or, like, you know, data about women in leadership, you know, that you might not understand or, you know, have any reference point for. Some kind of – it's all kind of educational in the end. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Darlene, um wow, so yeah. like when you lifted, you know, this this work, you know, and all these hours, like, wow, this it really makes it tangible. How did that oh we actually when you huh. saw it and then you picked it up. How does that feel? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, it really makes um the things that are intangible in a way, the amount of time that you spend doing something, um, really, literally, obviously, take shape um, and take form. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the times, like, you know, we kind of end our days, or at least I end my day, and I'm like, I'm so tired, and I don't even really feel like I did something. But having mm -hmm. tracked and really looked at the actual hard data and then the visualization of it, it's like, yeah, I'm literally carrying around this stuff pretty much all day. Um, mm -hmm. so it was really kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it puts a whole another mm -hmm. um, another meaning on you know that that famous book that was looking at I think men in war the things they carried right. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
yeah. like, wow, like, you know, people tell you to, you know, like, take it off of yourself, you know, just, you know, once you realize you're carrying something, just, if you know, unless you don't, unless you can want to continue carrying, just sort of take it off and put it to the side, but that's not always possible to remove the, the this, this constraint that you might not have chosen, but how do you, un, you know, how do you set it aside if this is your livelihood or this is something that you are emotionally vested in? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you actually saw this, uh, this, this, this work, you know, commodified mm-hmm. and 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 you know made things that were intangible, like time is intangible, but we know we can look mm-hmm. at our watch like, okay, I've been here four hours more than I was supposed to be here and the time stopped, you know, like I am not getting paid for this, but um, (laughs) I felt a need to to stay here and maybe help, you know, this particular student or whatever. Yeah, I was just wondering um, just sort of uh, how that, you know, now that you you have this this artwork, have you reevaluated how you spend your time and what you give your time to? That's a really good question. I think that it's definitely made me think. Um, I, when I see the actual piece mm-hmm. and performance, I think that it's going to, like, slowly, you know, think these things, the, the way that we carry this weight, the, our ideas about labor and, like, what women should be doing with our time is something mm-hmm. that is more often than not inherited. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it takes generations to kind of think like, you know, you should be spending this amount of time on other people. You should be spending this amount of time at work. And, you know, only at the end of the day you get this amount of time. Um, so I think that change is not going to happen, um, unfortunately, very quickly. I, but, you know, I, 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 now that I have my mind open to it, um, kind of slipping in what things I can redistribute the weight, right, because there's only a certain amount of time in the day, there's responsibilities, and I think it's um, like about weight redistribution. If we're mm-hmm. going to carry the metaphor um, even further. Yeah, yeah. Wow, how interesting. So, Sawyer, uh, what attracted you to Darlene's story? Um, and um, and for our audience, since since the exhibit's not open yet, and could you maybe tell them sort of how you interpreted it in in the sculpted piece? Sure. So, um, Darlene and I have known each other um, for a few years, and I ran into her at an artist talk, and I'm never shy about looking for new participants for my project, so I'm always like, so, (laughs) what are you doing for work these days? And, you know, so I saw Darlene, and we were just chitty-chatting, and you know, I said so, and she told me this unbelievable story of all these things that she was involved in, <laughs> many of them like community volunteerism, which um, I put that under um, unpaid labor because it's like caretaking of the larger community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put that sort of in the caretaker responsibility section. Anyway, she told me this unbelievable <laughs> story of all these different things that she had done and was doing and was planning to do. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've struck gold. <laughs> and I said, i, I got to hear your story for my project. And she was game. So um, we took it from there. And 
um, the way that I have visualized it, if I could just, you know, kind of paint a picture. It's a little hard to explain installation art and words, but so um, as I said, all the pieces are modular. So I got her data. Oh, and I should say that I do a really comprehensive interview with all my participants so I can really get, mm -hmm. like, not just, it's not just about numbers, it's about who they are and, tell like, storytelling to build bridges to people who've maybe, you know, never even thought about this topic before. It needs to be really human. So, mm -hmm. so I did this whole long interview with her, got sort of the flavor of what it's like to work as Darlene, and then um, I kind of, like, research the person. I totally, like, stalk their social media, like, find out what their favorite <laughs> color is, like, anything I can find out about them to make it more about them. I do that. And so what I came up with for Darlene was I have um, these fabric sacks, and they hang suspended from these poles. And inside the gold ones, the gold ones represent her paid labor, um, there's a stone as if she's collected her payment for that hour. And inside mm -hmm. the silver ones, there's no stone. It looks like it's sort of fallen out onto the floor. So those are her uncollected hours. Mm. And um, the way I'm hanging it is in sequential order of how she reported it to me. So, again, you can actually read, like, this is what Darlene did with these days. Um, so, so that's what the piece is going to look like. And, you know, it's got little bits and pops of, of you know, Darlene flavor. It's got, you know, close <laughs> to her favorite color. It's got, you know, like I vaguely reference, like, her heritage in different aesthetic parts of it. So it's, it's really fun. to mm. It's like putting together a little puzzle about a person. It's really fun. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah. So, um, Darlene, um, yes. uh, tell us. What is your work? Because I know you're an artist, too. Um, uh, are you a visual yeah. artist as well? Uh, I am. I am a visual, visual artist. Um, a lot of my work recently um, has to do with part of my family's um, kind of journey through the African diaspora, through, mm -hmm. um, through anecdotes and family histories and using like 23andMe, um, you know, a oh. research. So nice. that's been something I've been working on um, and kind of like the shift and just, you know, all sorts of things with that. I do primarily printmaking, but also mm -hmm. it's a lot of drawing and painting. Um, I am a teaching artist, mm -hmm. so I split my time between my practice and teaching uh, TK through fifth grade art, oh, wow. <laughs> which, is, which is really great. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and and other things. I mean, as as Sawyer referenced, I I kind of got my hands in a lot of pots. Um, keeps mm -hmm. me busy, but I feel like there's so many kind of opportunities to help change this world that we're living in. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's kind of really important to me. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's me. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. So um. I know there are some special events happening around the exhibit, but before that, um, tell us a 23andMe story. Um, a 23andMe story. Um, you know, I think yes, that yeah, it's an ancestry interesting. story. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that it's interesting um, to me to see 
how people how many people different types of people are referenced um with on that platform um you know my mother's from Trinidad my dad's from Nigeria and so just looking at the way uh in not so long ago four generations back um to see how my relatives were basically, you know, stolen and kind of taken all over the world. Um, you know, there are people that are closely, slightly distantly related to me, fourth and fifth cousins, you know, that I never would have been able to pick out on the street um, that are just literally all over the United States um, and mm-hmm. have gone back generations. And, you know, that it really only points to one thing. Um, it's like one of those things that, we don't have a tendency to talk about because it seems indelicate, but, you know, especially when you're looking at things, um, and it's like kind of like a really important tie-in, when you're looking at things in an abstract, it feels one way, and there's a tendency to put like emotion on it, but when you're looking at data and facts, it's kind of hard to argue, right? You know, so for Mm -hmm. my parents, knowing where they came from and then just seeing that, you know, I have this, like, fourth or fifth cousin that's, you know, 100% Irish that, that lives, you know, in Minnesota. You know, it really can only be, it, it really only points to one thing. So, it's, to me, that's been kind of a fascinating way to put, like, the middle passage um, and make it real for my own life and then mm-hmm. try to tell a story that's inclusive and, you know, really thinks about all of the different repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Sawyer, are these these really uh, in depth interviews? Are they like playing playing in like um, uh, I guess are they are they playing on on some monitor within the exhibit so people get to, if they want to just spend time with you know the character that inspired the work they can uh, or even yeah, at some no i i don't record them i don't i don't oh. preserve them in any way they're um mm-hmm. they're phone interviews and they're just for me and a lot of times okay. they get very personal and that's why mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because i'm really you know like digging down into like what's it like you know if you have a partner what's that like you know mm-hmm. um i've heard some very deeply personal stories um, which mm-hmm. I'm glad that they've shared with me, but um, typically at some point there's content that shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't be uh, public, but that's great, you know, okay. because it helps me mm-hmm. do what I need to do. Yeah, wow, it sounds like you're an um, anthropologist, archaeologist of, of the soul spirit. You know, I always wanted to be an archaeologist. <laughs> so I guess I came around to it eventually. Uh, definitely, yes. definitely. <laughs> it is dig- yeah. it is like digging for treasure though. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. So so tell us about some of the special programs. Um, like is there gonna be like a opening, you know, event so people can meet the artists, meet yourself and meet the other uh women whose work and whose lives you've mined, you know, for the pieces? Yes. So um, there, there's an opening reception, and that's on Thursday, September 19th from 6 to mm-hmm. 9 at Code and Canvas in San Francisco. Okay. 
Okay. And you'll be able to meet me, but more interestingly, you will be able to meet the project participants who are able to make it because I use women from all over the United States to get, oh. you know, a more mm -hmm. robust, diverse sampling of how different people mm -hmm. work. Um, okay. But, yeah, the, the ones who are able to make it, the ones who are local will be there. And something that's really exciting that's just sort of been um, getting started cooking is um, – Katie Wong from Raw Dance Company in San Francisco approached mm -hmm. me about doing a collaboration. She wanted to do a movement piece with her dancers mm -hmm. that somehow interpret, you know, women's labor and, you know, the topics that I'm discussing in my work. So mm -hmm. I have only seen some video outtakes from their practices, but that's happening at 7.30, and it's just going to sort of like organically grow out of the crowd, and then all of a sudden there's going to be this dance piece. So I think that's going to be really beautiful, and it's mm -hmm. not something I've ever done before. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing that's exciting is I'm going to have a public participatory event called Crafting Balance, and mm -hmm. that's going to be during um, – San Francisco Arts Band Open Studios Weekend, number three, mm -hmm. um, which is it's October 26th and 27th. So because my project is about, you know, shining a light on these issues that maybe people haven't thought about, I like to come up with as many ways um, to different ways to tell the story as I can. And one of the ways that I really enjoy is doing what's called social practice events, which and social practice mm -hmm. art is just where you involve the community and, you know, people get to, like, get in there themselves and do something. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the social practice event I'm going to do for this one is I'm going to build, uh, like, eight-foot-tall weaving loom and um, have people – give me their data. I have this sort of little data collection kiosk. So you kind of ballpark your data. You're going to put together a color-coded rope, string sort of, you know, thing, and then weave it into this community co-created, uh, like, tapestry of everybody's work hours. Mm -hmm. So by the end, we'll have this record of every, you know, the work hours of everybody who's come through the show. Mm -hmm. And then that'll be, you know, in the end, a standalone piece. So I oh. like <laughs> I like the social practice things to be really fun and approachable and touchable. And so like this giant loom, I'm making it huge because I want two people to have to operate it at the same time. So, you know, you have to do it together. It starts a dialogue. You go, oh, I see what you're doing and you see what <laughs> I'm doing. Um, and so, you know, they're always a laugh, but there is that serious side of like, yeah, but, you know, look what we're really talking about. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds really great. Ah, yeah, yeah. So on your website, um, the art that we're looking at, is that from one of the iterations of the series that you're doing? Or is is this, yeah, because I, I looked so at your website. Mm -hmm. Sure. If you're on the home page, you're seeing mm -hmm. the Force of Nature exhibition, which was okay. my last right. exhibition. And okay. if you're on the mm -hmm. Counting the Hours page, like the new page for the show, mm -hmm. you're seeing yeah. little teasers from the new show. Okay. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I was looking at counting the hour teasers. Okay. Yeah, the yeah, little yeah. teasers in the new show. Okay. Yeah, it looks looks kind of heavy, you know. Like, does does Beverly feel heavy? Um, <laughs> I'm talking to both of you now. <laughs> so, like, physically heavy or emotionally heavy? Because the answer is yes. Any way you want to take it. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes on both counts. Um, yeah. Um, physically, they are actually very large and very heavy, and they take up a lot of space, which is all mm-hmm. intentional because, mm-hmm. you know, women are often, um, you know, taught not to take up space, not to make noise, not to draw attention mm-hmm. to themselves. Um and you, it's possible to keep working for free at the same time. <laughs> so I'm kind of trying to turn that on its head. You know, like the pieces are large, the pieces are bold. We're going to take up some space. We're going to make some noise and talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that regard, yes, physically heavy. Emotionally heavy, yeah, you know, like I said, I, I hear a lot of stories. You know, I kind of pick up on people because they have an interesting work story. But then, mm-hmm. you know, when you dig down, everybody's got these really robust, intense life experiences, and they usually come out when we're talking. Um, and so I'm, I'm honored, usually, you know, that people feel strongly enough about participating in my project that they'll share those things with me so that I can, you know, really give an accurate representation of who they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and what, what makes you, you know, uh, what made you want to, to start uh, you know this kind of project, and how 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 many iterations have there been um, in it so far? <laughs> and do you have it? Is it like mapped out, or do you like do you know what's next? I know somewhat what's next. Oh. Um, you know, I always have a few people in the pipeline that I wasn't able to get to this time, but that I'm really uh-huh. excited about for next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I have an idea of a few people I'm going to do next, um, mm-hmm. but I guess we'll see how this show goes. How I came to this idea, I came to this idea when my children were, I have two children, they were very small, I had a preschooler and a toddler, and and I have a partner, um, but, you know, he he was just kind of off doing his thing, you know, like sort of very 1950s, he was making the money and I was at home with the kids, and I was going crazy, and he was kind of going crazy too, it was a lot. Um but I, I, you know, at one point I counted and I was working like 16-hour days and then, you know, waking up with a toddler in the middle of the night. So I started writing mm-hmm. down the data. And so I joke that um, my working title for the project at the start was I'm going to draw my husband a picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually drew him out a data visualization <laughs> of what it takes to, you know, do caretaking for these two small people. And then he mm-hmm. really got it. He really saw me. I think for mm-hmm. the first time since we had the mm-hmm. kids. And I thought, okay, you know, that really worked. So I started talking to women like at school and in my community, like, hey, so like I said, I'm not shy. Like, so <laughs> your work life, <laughs> tell me about that. Like, is this sustainable? Do you feel like you get support from your partner? And I was hearing the same story over and over. So I thought, mm-hmm. all right, like I'm kind of a research nerd and proud of it. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, like, I think I've got something here. Let me dig into the numbers, see what kind of research I can find. And it, once you start looking, it's just there was research from every walk of life, every profession, you know, women, female-identifying individuals, 
it you know it's there's so much data so mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. I just got busy at that point <laughs> right yeah yeah wow well I'm happy you got busy because definitely you know these stories that um that women are sharing with you, you know, like Darlene Jane. Thank you so much, Darlene. <laughs> of course. Um, and, and others, you know, the other women. And we're kind of out of time, but I was wondering, uh, Sawyer, if you could, like, give us the names of the other 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 women, the other storytellers who's, um, you know, who collaborated with you in this work for this particular iteration um, of, of your, of your, um, your series. Uh, sure. This one, so um, counting hours. Yeah. No, care, yeah, so yeah, there are hours in the Carrying yeah. Stones project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are four women who have their, okay. you know, who have the large scale sculptures. Darlene is one. Um, thank you, Darlene. <laughs> um, Renee Stout, who is this amazing African American artist who lives in Washington D.C., who um, I met when I was her liaison to the uh, to her Lifetime Achievement Award. And I asked her if she'd be in the project, and she said yes, and I was so thrilled. So her story is <laughs> fascinating. Um, mm. This woman, America, who is – she lives in L.A., and she's a stunt woman and a stunt director and an actress and a mom of a two-year-old. So mm. that is a fascinating, convoluted story of That's kind of – the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then finally, um, there's this woman, Loita Robles who lives in Chico and she, she is a dentist. And, Mm. um, but the fascinating thing about her story is how she went to school in San Francisco and commuted back and forth to Chico, which is like 33 and a half hours and -hmm. like FaceTime parented her kids the whole time that she was in dental school. So she even like attended family picnics, like FaceTiming (laughs) into like family dinner so, you know, just looking at – that story gives me goosebumps because it's like look at the lengths that women will go to to make everything right and make everything happen and keep mm-hmm. everybody happy. It's you – know, that's intense. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, they're all beautiful like stories. <laughs> yeah. So I presume all of, the, all of the women know each other's stories. Not yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they will. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. What a what a great community that you've developed. I remember reading some of these backstories, um, you know, the uh, the edited versions. Uh <laughs> you know, in uh, you know, sort of preparing for, for our conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that particular one about the uh um the woman who is the dentist, like, wow, that was amazing. Like, whoa. Yeah. And the thing that is, is when you, you know, hear her talk about it. She goes, mm-hmm. well, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> gotta, you know, I was mom. I just had to make it happen. So I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that a yeah. lot. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, just the way you, you know, you've been able to share some of these stories, um, you know, it just like sees how, you know, we see how how moms are really, you know, the superheroes, um, you know, um, you know, uh, Darlene Jane, you know, and you saw your rose, um, and the other women, you know, whose work you've been sharing, you know, through this series. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of lot of hidden heroes, you know, around that, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've been able to highlight, you know, in these various um, public forums, which we really appreciate. 
So, um, yeah, I want to thank you both so much for joining us and oh, hope to so have welcome. maybe some more conversations along the way because your, your exhibit um, will be up for a minute. And, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe you could give our audience the details one more time, make sure that they are there, particularly for the opening. Sure. The opening is uh, September 19th, 6 to 9 p.m., at Coden Canvas, which is 151 Potrero Avenue in San Francisco. And um, I was telling you about the dance thing. That is 7.30 sharp if you want to see that. It should be really good. <laughs> okay, cool. And and your website, could you give that to our audience? Sure. It is carrying-stones.com, and you can find all the information about the show there. Okay, yeah. And and Darlene, uh, Jane, um, do you have a website that you'd like to share with our audience? I do. It's DarleneJaneArt.com. Pretty simple. Um, My first name is spelled D-A-W-L-I-N-E. So, um, yeah, check it out. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, cool. Super. Right. Well, thank you both so much uh, for joining us, and I look forward to meeting you uh, at the gallery, I'd like to see the uh, the dance production, so I'm going to try to get there on time so I can see it Excellent. before 7. Thank you, Wanda, <laughs> so much right. for having me and Darlene. <laughs> You're welcome. You take good care. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye. Ah, good morning, uh, and welcome to the show. Um, am I speaking to... Um, Let's see. I've got two two people in the studio, so it's either Tina Taylor, director, um, or um, Bryce Smith, who plays Aaron, or Shane uh, Foffrey, uh, who plays Titus, yes. who's in the studio right at the moment. Or is everybody there just sharing? Yes. Uh, uh, well, this here. is Shane Wanda. Oh, hi, Shane. Hi, how are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I think I heard your voice, Tina, did I? Yep, I'm here too, yep. Okay, super, super, yeah. Well, we are talking about Titus and Andromachus at Theater uh, Luna, uh, Lunatico. Is that how, Lunatico. Is that? Lunatico, yeah, I knew I had the accent yeah. in the wrong place. Lunatico. <laughs> and, and the show opened uh, last week. Ah, Here's our third guest. Ah. <laughs> oh, good morning, Bryce. How are you? Oh, good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, your colleagues Tina and um and Shane are in the studio. You can say hi if you like. Oh, hello all. <laughs> hey, hey, Bryce. Morning, Bryce. Hey. Yeah. So I was just letting our audience know that Titus and Andronica is open at Theater uh, Lunatico um, last week, August 30th, and it continues through the end of September, September 29th, at Laval Subterranean Theater. Um, and uh, is that in Berkeley? Yes. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Why don't you give the address, because I don't have it right here where I'm reading. Yeah. The, the address is 1834 Euclid Avenue. Okay. So we're we're in the subterranean theater just below Laval Pizza, so you can grab your pizza and beer and come on down to the theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I I have some really long bios, but maybe I'll 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 read the bios maybe after we talk a little bit about 
this this classic play and um and and why um uh theater Lunatico decided to you know to bring it to um uh to the stage right now um yeah. you know and uh it's definitely um has some current resonance and your theater and I really would love for you you know all to talk about it a theater Lunatico is a different kind of theater um you know people really sort of feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Tina, do you want to start? Um, yeah, sorry, could, could, could you ask the question again? There was a little interference on, on, on my line. So. Okay, sure. Yeah, I was saying that um, uh, your particular theater, Theater Illuminatico, is, is um, I was reading about it, and I, I'd rather not read sort of what kind of theater it is. You know, I know you do a lot of physical theater. And, yeah. and then this particular play, I was just wondering, you know, sort of why you decided to to bring this particular work uh, to the stage right now, um, and then yeah. um, and then we'll shift, and and then you know you're also director. You could talk a little bit about that if you like, and then we can shift and let Shane um, play Titus and, and Bryce who plays Aaron talk about yeah. their characters and their roles and you know why they wanted to. You know, yeah. To be in these particular um, uh, bring these characters to life, you know, at this this point, you know, why why they wanted yeah. to do this? Yeah, um, yeah. I um, well, we're doing Titans right now, I think, because of the political climate that we're in, you know, with such a, a, a rise in, or it feels like a rise in extremism and very reactionary, um, a, a very reactionary climate. And um, Titus is certainly a play in which um, revenge and um, extremely reactionary um, action is is happening. And um, within the context of a very brutal sexism and a very brutal racism. Um, and so I, I, I think that that's why I was drawn to it right now, um, to kind of speak to that climate that we're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, you know, it, it's sort of so disheartening to see what seems like these this backslide when it comes to addressing systemic racism and sexism. And um, and, and interestingly, Titus opens with a with a with a sort of discussion about democracy, actually, <laughs> um, as well. And it seems like we're we're in a time when our democracy feels so fragile. Um, and, and so those were the main reasons. Um, for choosing this play right now. It's been sort of on my mind to do the play for a while, if if nothing else, because it's such a challenge. You know, it's definitely, it feels like Shakespeare threw down the gauntlet a little with this play. It's a very challenging and difficult play to do. Um, And, 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 you know, it's nice to have a challenge as a director like that. But um, it also seems timely, very timely right now. Um, It's been so disheartening. You know, personally, as a woman, you know, having been fighting the feminist cause for so many decades, to feel like mm-hmm. we are sliding so so far back, and um, this play certainly addresses those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. So, um, uh, let's see, Bryce or or Shane, whoever wants to respond to the question, can uh, whoever wants to do it mm-hmm. first. I'll give it a go. Okay. Um, 
Well, yeah, just like uh, what Tina was saying, it's just it's very appropriate for night right now, and the parallels between you know what we're seeing in political theater today as uh, what we're bringing to our theater, it's 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 incredible. Um, and Tina, she is staged in a way that makes it very apparent. You know, we're very uh, we're staging in a way where red is red, blue is blue, just as you can see in um, you know, as you turn on the th- uh, turn on the uh, TV, you know, CNN versus Fox News. It's it's uh, yeah, it's it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. Right. Yes, that was me. <laughs> Oh, that was you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Shane. <laughs> uh, yeah. My apologies. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's you know, it's very much about the established order versus something new and different that is you know appearing in today's world and the established order being you know the the resistance we see on the right. Um, versus the the modern the modern kind of upspring of feminism and um, liberalism, where we Tina staged the play in many ways to reinterpret it in these terms and to kind of show the difference between the two and and, and um, what the conflict is between the two views of the world and and, and kind of what what new hope could be offered. To, um, hmm. to to an alternative, basically, and um, it's very interesting how you know Shakespeare wrote this hundreds of years ago, but even today it's relevant and relevant because it's literally you can literally interpret the play through that lens, and it just fits it so well. It really tells that story. I think that's the approach that Tina and everybody involved has gone for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, talk about, you know, your relationship, um, Aaron's relationship with, with Titus. What's, what's the story, um, for those who don't know this particular work? Well, uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron is a Moor uh, who has uh, just returned to Rome, who's just come to Rome as a prisoner of war. Because Titus, as general, uh, led the war against the Goths uh, in a uh, decided, uh, decided victory. So um, we actually open, we open um, as Titus comes back with all the spoils of war, including his prisoners, and I'm one of them. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron is a person of African descent, right? When you say more, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yes, yes, that's um, the interpretation. Yeah, because Shakespeare hasn't doesn't have that many um, characters of African descent. I think there might be four of them. Um, <laughs> so this is one of those plays, and you know, people know Othello, but that's not the only one. You know, we got um, this one, and and these, so these, you know, these men, um, if I remember the play correctly, um, are. Are, are soldiers, you know, they're they're warriors, and yet there's um, uh, 
you know, Shakespeare, the way he writes um, the characters, you know, there's, um, there, the, the, you know, I think the Aaron character in particular, you know, is allowed to have um, some compassion and, and sort of um, vulnerability around around children and and bloodshed. Um, you know, he just doesn't just kill for the sake of killing. Whereas Titus is a very different kind of character. Um, yeah, so let me talk a little bit about about the contrast, and then I think um, I think uh, the way that um, theater um, in um sort of stages this, there is some some changing of of who plays what, you know, um, like you know the physicality of the role. It and I think some of the names even might change. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, um, uh, Tina. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, we have changed the gender of some of the key roles, which we do every time we do Shakespeare, because oh, okay. you know, as a company, we're you know committed to um, having gender parity in in our productions, and and Titus, um, to our creative team and cast, we do have gender parity, um, and so some of the key uh, uh, characters have been changed to women uh, in order to just. Um, uh, really to address what Shane was saying about, uh, you know, living in a time of a changing order. And um, so there's a lesbian relationship that's sort of really key to the story and um, a hate crime against that, the, the two women in that, in that relationship. <clears throat> and um, an interesting, you know, going back to what you were just saying about Aaron, you know, he is the only character that shows some vulnerability and, and some... Um, uh, motive behind his behavior, but you know, of course, we have these these two white characters, Saturninus and Titus, who commit horrendous crimes. But um, at the end of the play, we're asked to feel sympathy and sorrow for them, whereas Aaron Moore, as the you know African character, is um, is at the end of the play, where we're, we're asked to. Um, punish him and and he is the character that we're we're off to hate basically and so and i think the play does not a little to that um that white privilege um that we see in our culture in terms of who's who's held accountable yeah 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 so i was wondering um uh bryce uh i was reading that um this is your second production with uh uh, Lunatico, and uh, you performed in Dracula with the company last year, and yeah. Um, and yeah, and you you say in your bio that uh, that exploring a character such as Aaron was new territory for you. Ah, so how is that? How was it new ter- territory to explore Aaron? I guess coming from uh, Dracula, well, but you know, I'm sure you had others, other 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 work between them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, interestingly, I actually did a Death Trap right before this play. Mm-hmm. So with uh, Clifford Anderson, I got to dabble in being uh, something of a something of a, like an evil genius who's never really uh, who's never really being straight with any of the characters. He's always got that underlying um, like mo- motive going on, that mm-hmm. ulterior motive, and um, it was just it was just so fascinating to 
for someone like that, someone that just, um, you know, he's always got, he's always got something up his sleeve. You, you know, he's always, he's always thinking, he's always plotting. He's al- there's always something going on, and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and your character's relationship, Aaron's relationship with Titus, because he's a prisoner of war, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, and it seems like that relationship kind of shifts because, if I remember correctly, uh, Titus respects Aaron's uh, skill, war, you know, skill as a, as a as a soldier. It almost sees him as a peer, I think. Oh, uh. uh yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, uh, no. Yeah, can you take it? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, Aaron starts out as uh, a not significant character in Titus's mind. I mean, he, he's taken as a prisoner of war um, pretty much as kind of a, a right-hand man to Tamara, who's Titus's main prisoner of war, the former queen of the gods. Uh, mm-hmm. It evolves. It turns out, of course, that Titus, that, that Aaron is very smart, very cunning, um, and he's scheming behind his back. In fact, in many ways, you could say he he drives Tamara's actions towards Titus. So of course he becomes something much more significant than he starts out as within Titus's viewpoint, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. In many ways, he he is Titus Titus's opposite, I suppose. Mhm. It's kind of a challenge yeah. because, um, as Tina said, I, I think you'd agree, Bryce. Like Aaron is written as as kind of the baddie, but of course. In reality, he's like he's the other person within society, and so he has many reasons for doing what he does. And the challenge is to show that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Titus sees that, of course. Titus doesn't mm. see a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, every, everyone <laughs> in the play is blinded by revenge and, and vengeance and uh, personal vendettas and so forth, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. And Shane, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, well, Fahey would be okay. the way most Americans say it. Fahey? <laughs> yeah, Fahey. Okay, Fahey, okay. Yeah, and, and you last appeared uh, with uh, Gunaki Ko in 2018 as well as Angelo in Measure for Measure, and um, and and you uh, more more recently were in uh, the chaplain in Ubuntu Theater's Mother Courage, um, which I thought was really awesome. So I saw you in that, and and Duran Duran in Dreams on the Rocks, uh, Bar Barbarella, and you were nominated. Congratulations for a Bay Area Theater Critics Award for your portrayal of David at New Conservatory Theaters for the Love of Comrades. And uh, so, how awesome. Yeah, and um, and then, uh, Tina, I want to read a little bit of your bio. Um, you are the director and the choreographer, uh, and you are the artistic director of Theater Lunatico. <laughs> yeah. and, and, 
Yeah, you're an English theater artist who's been acting, directing, and facilitating theater both in the U.K. and California for over 30 years. Um, you were originally a dancer before turning your attention to theater. You have a B.A. Uh, honors and uh, drama and dancing Leeds University in England. Uh, and you're skilled in the process of devising original theater through ensemble improvisation. And you've worked in prisons and with community service organizations using theater as a means of conflict resolution. Oh, how wonderful. Um, you also teach Shakespearean acting, using your physical theater training as a gateway to decoding and understanding text. You have a deep, intuitive understanding of the craft, of the craft and acting and enjoy bringing your diverse performance background and spontaneous creativity to your directing and teaching work. Um, past productions include Shakespeare, Chekhov, uh, Sher Sheridan, Breck, Bond, Zimmerman, and many original plays devised through ensemble improvisation. Um, and you're going to be um, directing the West Coast premiere of Convoy 31,000 with Theater Lunatico in the fall of 2019. Maybe we have time you could tell us about that. I don't know that particular play. But I was yeah. wondering, um, Shane and Bryce um, and, uh, and Tina, if you could talk a little bit about this, this physicality, like what are you doing, you know, um, in this particular production that sort of makes it original, makes it, you know, um, because of the physicality that you bring into the work. What does that What does that look like? How does that feel in your body? Um, well, I, I think that the, the, the feeling it in your body is the, is the key thing, uh, particularly with Shakespeare, you know, it's, um, you know, obviously our focus has to be on the very beautiful, complex, uh, language that Shakespeare uses and um, that verse form, you know, uh, but also I, I think that if you lean too heavily in that direction, Shakespeare can be hard, <laughs> so it can be long and hard yeah. to get through. So um, I think if actors can truly em embody what they're saying, um, it not only helps to tell the story, you know, because Shakespeare does weave these very complex plots, um, but you know it, it animates and enlivens Shakespeare, and, and we're we're actually fortunate to be working in a very tiny space, so um, it's very you know upfront and um, uh, close to the audience. But um, you know, I, I I just feel in general that that process for actors of truly embodying what they're saying in a way that's um, uh, fluid and natural is is one of the big tasks that actors have, and and that's where I've always you know I started out as a dancer, and then moved into physical theatre, and and that's you know for me how theatre comes alive, and um, and and it and it's a it's a breakthrough process for actors who who um, get get kind of stuck in a very uh, um, uh, kind of uh, stuck <laughs> physical place. I'm struggling to use the word there. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a process that I think is very helpful to actors and, and great for the audience, you know, very, very, very alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, a response to that particular question, or you maybe can share, like, a favorite moment in the work? Well... 
Yeah, I just I agree with Tina in that you know we're very fortunate to be working in this uh, small setting because it it really forces us as actors to take a careful reexamination in many of the text because you know not only not only are we you know, reciting this this verse but we also need to embody it because the space is in itself very unforgiving in that if we're if we're fake at all with you know with our movement or with what we're saying, it immediately comes across to our audience. So mm. it's it's working on this. It 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 like you you have to believe in everything you're doing and you're saying, and it just makes it all the more powerful as you're doing it. And um, I mean, it it comes across to the audience that you are feeling it, that you are you know believing in yourself. It comes across very quickly. And yes, mm. it's just mm-hmm. it's a great way to do theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's it it goes to the heart of it. What Tina said, which is that you know when you're using complex language, which is you know Shakespeare Shakespeare is a little bit of a foreign language to a lot of people who don't read it every day, obviously. So mm-hmm. if you can help tell the story with your body and through physical actions, um, then by all means you should do that. And that's, I think, what Lunatico aims to do here. Uh, but additionally, because it's, because it's theater and it's what we call stripped-down theater, the idea being that we take away all the fluff and we take away all the fancy spectacle and we basically make it about the actors, the sounds, the lights, and the sets, but mm-hmm. without any extraneous things going on, then the idea is to tell the story as best you can in that way. And so, for example, the choreography in many ways um, heightens what's going on and uh, it tends to add in some ways like little abstract interpretations of what's going on in order to you know, reinforce the picture within the audience's mind. And I think that's... To me, that's what theater should do. You know, it's not cinema. It's not video. It's live. It's live theater, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about people right. in place and being intimate with your audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in closing, um, maybe you could give the uh, the details again about, you know, the when, where, and how to get tickets, and then if we have any more time, maybe you can maybe um, maybe we can close with a favorite um, scene or a favorite um, yeah, scene. So, <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, so we're at Laval Subterranean Theatre, uh, 1834 Euclid Avenue in Berkeley, and the show runs until Bryson, Shane, you may have to help me out. My dates are not coming to me. <laughs> Um, when does it close? <laughs> oh, yeah. it it's not coming to me either, unfortunately. Oh, it closes on the 29th. No, I mean, no. Oh, no, it closes. Yeah. Uh, close the 29th, yes. And it's okay. performances are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings. And uh, our website is www.theaterlunatico.org. And um, uh, there's a brown paper ticket you know, website, too. Uh, where you can get tickets, and um, we we do also take walk-ins. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. Um, 
favorite um oh sorry favorite, favorite scene sorry. It's, yeah it's hard to say favorite scene when it's such a brutal play but um there is uh, you know i you know the actors are so fine bryce and shane the performances are amazing we haven't touched in this inter- interview about um a whole other aspect of the play, which is that it centers around the <coughs> brutal rape of um, a young woman, um, Lavinia, played by Isabel Langan. And, you know, her work in this play is, is so stunning and heartbreaking. And um, I really want to give a shout out to her for the work she's done. Um, uh oh. Uh, you know, uh, hi. Uh, there's a. Um, a scene where her aunt, in the play, it would, in the original, it would be her uncle, but we've swapped the gender. So her aunt discovers her soon after this brutal attack and, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has a, has a beautiful speech, speech in finding her. And Isabel's physical work in that scene is just devastating. But also we use mm. the chorus to, um, to support that moment in a way that, you know, we're constantly trying to find a way to make this brutal violence in the play meaningful rather than gratuitous. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I think I'd, I'd like to mention that, Justine, just to mention that part of the show and the work that Isabel has done um, mm-hmm. on that. And indeed, uh, Sean Oda, who plays um, her, her aunt, Marcia, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So is that a part of... Um, because I think I think you all gave a synopsis earlier on. So, um, is is the brutal rape of a person, of a character that was a prisoner of war, or was she like? No, she, she was her... actually Titus. She's Titus's daughter, and mm-hmm. she that oh. rape is is plotted by Aaron. Actually, so Bryce could talk us to that, but. Um, it's it's a retaliation for the the mm. at the opening of the play Titus actually brutally kills um, Tamara's oldest child, and this is a retaliation for that. Um, mm. So uh, it's actually Titus's daughter who, who who that happens to, and then Titus well actually maybe shouldn't spoil the end. <laughs> okay, um, right. It, but um, yeah, it's it is a whole other aspect of this of this play. Looking looking at the um, the, the toxic rape culture actually is very much mm-hmm. a part of mm-hmm. this play. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, that's important. And so, would you say that this play is um, more for mature audiences? Uh, yes, 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 <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. um, and you know, it's it's you you have to go there understanding that that it does explore um, some very brutal moments of uh, revenge, of, of racism, of sexism, of you know, and and our hope is that when the audience come out, there is a meaning to that that we we touch hearts and um, mm-hmm. stay, you know, pure. Stay pure to the story and and let it speak for itself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that it has a real contemporary uh, resonance, um, particularly when we think about uh, some of the heads of state uh, here in this country um, yep. and what's going on, you know, around around the Me Too, Me Too movement and exactly. what's happening around immigration, um, which which looks like hostage you know, sort of prisoner of war kind of situation. People are coming here from other countries and then they can't leave yep. and their children are separated yep. from them and 
you know, children and adults. And, and dying. Babies. Children are dying. Yeah, it's, definitely. Yeah, no, dying. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Shane, um, uh, you know, any particular um, scene, uh, you don't have to necessarily be in it, or lines that maybe you speak, you know, that has a resonance for you that you'd like to conclude with? Um, yeah, it's kind of hard, hard to pick a scene. Uh, I guess without offering spoilers, I I uh, oh. mm. I agree with Tina. I think I think the 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 nexus of the play is that in some ways is that scene where where um, Lavinia undergoes a brutal rape. Not so much to scene itself, but everything that happens immediately after that, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whole play kind of turns on that and mm-hmm. there's so much compressed into one two, three, four scenes there that, that um, <clears throat> it turns the whole story around um, honestly there's so many moments in it that are just so rich, I mean typically of Shakespeare I guess um, I do have a particular fondness for for the um gosh, it's just hard to pick a moment to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost like you know, it's almost like it's uh it's like a not a good thing for an actor to do. I don't know if you agree with that, Bryce, but I feel like I feel like I've gotta do pay homage to all all of it, the entire play. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we will pay homage to the to the whole play and not not and not <laughs> fragment it. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, is there is there music? Um. Yes. Well, there's a. Um, oh, is somebody on a ferry? Uh, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> sorry, that's that's the Amtrak. I'm sorry. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Amtrak. I'm right next. I'm right next to the train tracks. So sorry uh, about that. Uh, no problem. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's no musician on the stage, but there is a, a sound, you know, design to it, you know, to to the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and what I was actually leaning towards uh, for you know my pick of uh, favorite scenes is actually how we closed the play. We closed the play huh. with a uh, bit of a music music number, and um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's just it's very very appropriate, and it's it's very deep and hard hitting, and it's just mm-hmm. it's. Uh, yeah, the way Tina decided to close the play, it's just, it's beautiful. And um, it's yeah. definitely one of my favorite parts of the entire play. Oh, that's okay. a good, that's yeah, a really okay. good take, actually. Sorry, Wanda. That's a really good take for Bessine because in many ways it's like after this terribly brutal play, again, I hope this this is not a spoiler, but it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of healing to do that mm. last, number um, uh-huh. and the particular tune, the particular song and where it came from and what it means is quite mm-hmm. something. I mean, it was a great pick 
have to say. Yeah, it's like it kind of, yeah, it almost puts a band-aid on the wounds. I mean, in a good way, Mm -hmm. not in a, not in a superficial way. Right. In many ways, you know, well, it it kind of goes to the heart of, of what, like, happens when, 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 when there's violence and when there's, um, a wound and when there's, hate and so forth and all these terrible things that happen to people in life really the only the only succour or the only kind of healing is through art, through song, through folk tale and through through um, some kind of communal ritual which is essentially what a song is so I, I, yeah it's a really good way to round the show mm-hmm. oh wow Absolutely. yeah yeah Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for offering that because, you know, it sounds like this, this play um, is going to um, leave people kind of raw. And so it's great that, you know, there's, there's, there's an intention, um, you know, from, from, uh, from Utina uh, as director um, to, to give people some, some hope and some tools, you know, so that they don't, yeah, they don't yeah. walk out, you know, in the wrong way, yeah. you know. Right. And and it and it's very important as a director to constantly ask myself, you know, how how is this going to land with the audience, and, and what's the purpose of this? Why are we doing it? What are we, you know? Uh, and um, and I always we actually just dropped that song in, um, you know, I think within a week of the show opening because I always like to hold closing the show until the end, so, so I see the whole thing, see the whole play, and and how it's landing, and then really ask that question. How do I want the audience to walk out? You know, uh, and not that I can control how an audience responds or, or feels in any way, but that I am certainly giving thought to um, that closure. And and um, and the, it, the song is sung so beautifully by the cast, and it, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it is heartbreaking. And... Um, I, I, I got lucky. I, I, I really do have a really amazing cast, and we've all worked, I think, worked incredibly well through this play, given the material that we've been able to hold each other in a in a really good way through some very brutal material. And I hope that comes mm-hmm. across to the audience too, the, the you know the, the the purity of the intention behind doing the show. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it this evening. Um, wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it this evening. I don't. I don't think I've ever. I can't remember. Maybe one time seeing a play um, there, um, and it is really nice and intimate, and uh, so you can really sort of lose yourself, you know, in the work um, because you're that yeah. that close to to what's happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you all so much for joining us to talk about the work. And and your you know and uh, yeah and and why you do what you do really really appreciate it. But I did actually I don't think we talked about why you do what you do. Um, I think I read it in your in your bio. <laughs> so maybe that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having us here and and, and listening to uh, our. Uh, uh, you know, listening to us <laughs> talk about our art. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, hopefully yeah, this, is, you, this is a conversation that's going to continue. <laughs> think, good, good, good. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you take good care. Definitely you, stay in touch. Look forward to seeing you this evening. Thank right, you. Thank you.
You're welcome. Thank you have you a good rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. You too, That's, you're welcome. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So while we wait for our next guest to join us, we're gonna play um, uh, "Honey in the Rock," um, like this piece called "Hope." If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on, pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on, pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on, pray on. If we want hope to Darkest hour of the night comes the free 
Um, got nine minutes, and so we're going to go a little bit into overtime. But I want to play this really wonderful interview that I had with Shakti Butler, um, director, um, activist, artist who has been making who's been making these wonderful films, and uh, and this particular one, her her final in in the series of work, um, uh, Healing Justice, happened maybe one or two years ago. But anyway, we had a conversation with her before um, the uh, opening program uh, screening of the film and discussion. So um, I just think she has some really wonderful insight to share. So I'm going to play that interview. Uh, It's called Healing Justice. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening to another edition of Wanda's Picks. And you can tune in uh, Wednesdays uh, from 8 to 10 and, again, Fridays from 8 to 10 Pacific time. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for being a supporter. Peace and love. Oh, here we go. Okay, super. Thank you so much, Shakti Butler, for joining us to talk about your latest work, Healing Justice. Oh, my goodness. And you're having (laughs) an opening this weekend on Saturday for the lucky folks who are going to be able to fit into that that building, I mean, wow, I mean, at this point of your, of your, you know, wonderful work that you're doing around creating space for these important conversations, you probably need an amphitheater. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are almost sold out, just so you know. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. at all, particularly, you know, um, you know, in your collaboration with, um, uh, with uh, Nicole, um, and the embodiment project, and then they have yes. they're going to be in a, a dance program, I think Thursday, uh, and then next week as well. You're one of the Center for the Arts, so it's like a preview, preview. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. She's wonderful. Her company's amazing. Yeah, Nicole, totally amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that really wonderful, um, you know, having uh, the film as a part of uh, a multimedia dance piece. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it works so well! Oh my God, <laughs> it's just like wow. Nicole is just and her team, Nicole Cleveland and her team—they are just so brilliant. But then you know, look yeah. at this work that you're doing and how um, wow, um, how it so it lends itself to these different spaces. But then you know, you kind of know that already. And I was just wondering if you could talk about um, your use of film, you know, to create these places where people can talk about. Um, you know, uh, issues and explore their values within the context of a larger discourse that may be impeding their ability mm-hmm. to be fully mm-hmm. human. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we all understand how powerful media is mm-hmm. and that media plays such a large part in in um, shaping culture. Um, and culture, of course, is where a lot of the racialization that takes place in this country is embedded inside of culture in in ways that it becomes unconscious to so many people, particularly white people, are not aware of the role that is an extension of the history that this country is embedded in. And so using film and, and then turning film into something that really is more of a whole body experience, mm-hmm. in other words, including art and and dance and movement um, along with the stories that people tell is a way that you can actually, I believe, help um, help 
further and deepen the, the capacity to analyze something that is so complex, um, much more so than just reading a book, although I love reading and I'm not in any way um, denying the import of the written word. But there's something about film where people can step into what it is they see, particularly when they relate to it as part of their own lived experience or if it's completely antithetical to their lived experience. But it does promote, I think, deeper conversation than what people might tend to have, particularly um, across difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when <laughs> when your when your earlier films, you know, came out. Um, you know, the way home. You know, you've got women sitting around talking. And it's like, oh, like who does this? <laughs> and what what important? <laughs> I mean, and and then invite us to listen to the conversation and 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 how it affects all of us. And mm-hmm. like, wow. So yeah. And then the women you had gathered, you know, having these conversations were, you know, you know. Quite a mix, you know, of of leaders and people we didn't even know were doing what they were doing. So awesome, right. yeah. And then right. mayors of privilege. Oh my goodness, making whiteness visible. <laughs> Whoa, I I, I use yeah. that in my class um, on a number of of occasions. At you know, uh, I teach English, but I was using your your film, you know, to sort of interrogate mm-hmm. race and 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 the myth of of. Uh, uh, I guess of uh, privilege and and you know the reality of of you know the structural racism that sort of really is continuing to sort of guide uh, policies. Right. I mean, you know, there's you don't even have it's not even being hidden now. <laughs> right, and, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then lighting the shadow. Oh my goodness, and cracking the codes, um, the system of racial inequality, inequity. Excuse me, and. Um, and then now, you know, sort of looking at, you know, healing justice. Whoa! Like, how how did you how did you do this? And sort of, you know, in your training, and how did you come to to create <laughs> world trust? I mean, it's such a useful. Uh, I mean, you can people can like get so many tools there. I mean, you've got things they can download that they can use right now. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> they can yes. see clips. I mean, you, I mean, if you can't buy the film, you can rent it for two, three dollars or something. I mean, it's just like awesome, awesome work there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's probably. Um, first of all, I appreciate the the um, compliments, and I there are a lot of ways where I feel like I can't personally take credit um, for the body of work, in the sense that. A lot of it is based upon my life experience um, and, you know, how much race has been a central component of my life in informing who I am and how I think um, from the experiences that I had growing up. Um, and um, and then a lot of the creative part of what has informed the work that uh, we do has been through my meditation practice. And so I feel like um, a part of my practice says, you know, we all are, we all move through the world um, like birds, that we have two wings. One is self-effort and one is grace. And I feel like self-effort and grace really is what is at the center of my own need to make sense of the world that I live in and how race is embedded in absolutely every single thing that I see and do 
and how it impacts our communities and our children. And, um, and I mean, it impacts everyone, but we can see the danger of it, you know, in the African-American community and all other communities of 